Nico Anthony Lisi was an 18-year-old from Addison, New York. He was a wrestler and loved the outdoors. On September 30, 2011, he and another young man left New York in a pickup truck. Over the next few days, Nico's traveling companion arrived in Michigan, while Nico was seen alone by a friend in Franklin, Tennessee. He was never seen again. I'm Ed Denzel, and this is Unfound. There are years that ask questions and years that answer. That quote is from noted African-American author and anthropologist Zora Neale Hurston. You can look her up. It's an interesting quote, and I'm sure the quote is perfectly applicable to many aspects of life. But for us, we the people who are truly serious about not just talking about true crime, but actually solving it, sure, we have not just the year, but the hour day, month of a question, that being a disappearance. But we know that often a year never appears on the calendar where the disappearance, the question, is answered. At least, not yet. I bring this up because the disappearance of Nico Lisi can be confusing due to its scope in both geography and suspects. And it all started in 2011, the question year. So how can we wade through all the facts, locations, and statements to assist the Lisi family in making 2018 the answer year? And now, summary of the case. This is brought to you by my friend Megan Goodsite, charlieproject.org. Nico Lisi had a lot of things going for him throughout his teen years. However, he suffered an injury that forced him to stop participating in his favorite sport, wrestling. Later, with friction arising between himself and his parents, Nico ended up moving to Tennessee for school. But then he came back about eight months later, for reasons that are still unclear. Also, a few months before Nico went missing, he was accused, along with at least 10 other male teenagers, of raping a 14-year-old girl. Nico denied the charges, and his family insists he was dead set on refuting them in court. Eventually, in December of 2011, after Nico disappeared, all charges were dropped against all of the defendants. But on September 30, 2011, Nico and a male a couple years older than he, Robbie Knight, took a pickup truck from New York and headed west. They said they were going camping. However, the next day, a Saturday, Nico appeared alone on Flintlock Drive in Franklin, Tennessee, at the home of a kid Nico was friends with while he had been going to school there a couple years before. The family to this day insists that Robbie Knight was not with him. Allegedly, that same day, October 1st, Nico spent the day playing soccer with his Franklin, Tennessee friend and others. When they were done, Nico picked up his things at the friend's house and took off. He was never seen again. Robbie Knight was eventually found at his father's house in Romulus, Michigan, around October 4th. The truck they had been driving was not there. 
Robbie died a week later from a drug overdose without ever revealing, at least to the public's knowledge, anything he knew about Nico's disappearance. The following factors have complicated the investigation. The multi-jurisdictional aspect of the case between New York, Michigan, and Tennessee. The Franklin, Tennessee family who lawyered up and refused to answer any questions about Nico's disappearance. And the eventual discovery in 2016 of the stolen truck Nico and Robbie were driving that has added a whole new aspect to the mystery. Nico's family believes foul play is involved in his disappearance. The interview for this episode is with Nico's mother, Monica Button. Unfound News The first unfound meetup occurred in Panhandle, Texas this past Saturday, July 21st. I am told about 40 people were there and the main conversation was the disappearance of Thomas Brown. I personally had nothing to do with the arrangements and I give all the credit to two listeners, Charmin and Chandra, who put it all together. Even Tom's mother, Penny, was in attendance. I think this is going to spur me on to arrange a meetup in Florida once I get back there. Next, this past Sunday, July 22nd, I visited the location where Sherry Mahan disappeared from Cabot, Pennsylvania in 1985. I met with a guy who was on the bus with her and he actually got off at the same stop she did. He explained to me exactly what happened that day on location. I thank him and his family for showing up and talking to me. You can find the six-minute video of the bus stop and the walk Sherry would have made that day on Unfound's YouTube channel. I'm calling it Unfound on Location. Finally, after the interview with Nico Lisi's mother, please stay tuned in all the way to the end as I interview Stephen Huba once again, and we talk about this month's Trib article, The Disappearance of Mary Ann Verdecchia from Pittsburgh in 1962. Where you can find... Unfound. Unfound is on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, iTunes, Podomatic, Stitcher, Podbean, and Spotify. Concerning Facebook, please join us on Wednesday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern for the Unfound live show on the Unfound page. I also need to give a shout out to all the new followers on the Podomatic app. The email address, unfoundpodcast at gmail.com. The website, unfoundpodcast.com. Please check out the secret Stephen Kocher episode. The website at Trib Total Media, triblive.com forward slash news forward slash unfound. Unfound has Patreon and PayPal accounts. Your contributions provide for many of the items guests have received so far. I cannot thank all of Unfound supporters enough. Unfound merchandise, volumes 1, 2, 3, and 4 on Amazon in both paperback and ebook forms. Let's try to work on getting some great reviews for all of the volumes. The Playing Cards at MakePlayingCards.com. Shirts for almost all Unfound's cases at Unfound-Podcast.MyShopify.com. And please mention Unfound on all true crime Facebook pages and other websites and forums. Thank you. Before this interview plays, I feel like I have to make a statement that some of you have heard before. But I'm going to make it again because we have a lot of new listeners. In fact, I think the audience has increased by about 20% in the last couple months. We make no value judgments on Unfound. Everybody who has disappeared is treated the same. We don't care about addictions or prison time or pending charges or rumors or sexuality or anything like that. If a family wants to find a missing loved one, we are here to help. Period. I'm so happy to have on this episode of Unfound 
the mother of Nico, Lisi, Monica Button. Monica, welcome to Unfound. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Let's start here. Uh, Nico is your son. Uh, do you have any other children besides Nico? Yes, I do. I have Nico's older brother, Joseph, and he has a sister, Kerrigan, and a sister, Brooklyn. Wow. Okay, so you have four kids. And how did those four all get along? Well, uh, Joseph, Nico, and Kerrigan were very, very close. They were very close in age. Joseph was a year older than him, and Kerrigan was two years younger than him. So he was right in the middle, and they were very, very close growing up. Um, when Nico left, my youngest daughter was only two and he had quite a, a liking for her. Um, unfortunately she doesn't remember a lot about him because she's now nine. So, but they were tight. The older three were really tight. And how would you say that, uh, Nico might've been, um, maybe a bit different? What role did he play of your four, four children? Nico was the outspoken, um, always stood up for what he believed in, not necessarily what was the right way, but he, he liked to speak his mind about how he saw things. Mm-hmm. Um, all three of the older kids were very athletic into sports and things like that. Um, he was He was just a very outgoing individual and spoke his mind, and when he walked into a room, it was almost like everyone there knew who he was. Yeah. He just had that aura about him. Okay. And what were uh, some of his interests, hobbies? Um, was he into sports or what was he into, video games? What would you say? Uh, no, he wasn't a video game guy. Um, he loved soccer and baseball and excelled at wrestling. I had the kids in a wrestling program from a very early age and when Nico was seven years old, he won a national championship, and he continued to wrestle through high school. Um, and I honestly put them in the, the program when they were young so that he could exert some of his energy other than in my living room. <laughs> and That's he, funny. Was, he was a handful. He, yeah. he, was a, he was a wild one. Um, and he, in high school, won two sectional championships for the school that he went to. And, um, when I had his sister, uh, late in life in 2009, he, it was about three, three or four days before I had her, he sustained a neck injury at a wrestling match and was in the hospital. Yeah. And so that kind of put the kibosh to his wrestling. So he was kind of lost without that because they told him that he probably shouldn't wrestle anymore because he had done some damage to his neck. Mm-hmm. Um, so he didn't, he never wrestled again in school after that. And that was in 10th grade. So it had been like 16 years old and already he's being told that he can't go any, right. any more forward with the sport that he loves. Right. Absolutely. How did he handle that? Would sad. you say after he got out of the hospital, how did he handle that? He, he, not very well. He wasn't real happy about it. Um, in fact, um, we're going to talk about when he went to school in Tennessee with my, when he stayed with sure. my in-laws down yeah. there Yeah. and he actually tried to, um, finagle 
the doctors into saying that it would be okay that he wrestled down there, but that didn't quite work out too well for him. Mm -hmm. And so he couldn't wrestle there either. So um, he just, it was kind of a, I don't know, a blow to him because that was something that he had a real passion for that. And he loved the outdoors. Um, He loved family cookouts and, he he was a, a family kid. He didn't bring a lot of his friends around here. Nico kind of, I guess, was attracted to uh, the bad boy type of, of people. Mm-hmm. And I was not the mom that wanted any more than one bad boy in my house. So right. there were there were a handful of his friends that I didn't even ever come into contact with. But Nico knew a lot of people. Um it didn't matter where he went; he knew people. Okay. So let's you who had mentioned it already. Uh, he did go. Uh, you are in New York, but he went the whole way to Tennessee at some point. Yeah. Like you yeah. said, what? When was this, and why did this happen? Well, he had had a, a rough time coming out of tenth grade, and. It was the whole wrestling thing, and he quit the baseball team, and it was like Nico was carrying the world on his shoulders, and it was my brother-in-law, actually, that came to me, and he said, you know, what do you think about Nico going and spending the summer in Tennessee? And I was like, oh, I don't know. I think that's a very good idea. And he said, well, I, I think it'd be good for him. And he said, so... What, let's you know. Let's talk to the in-laws and let's see what they think. And so we did talk to my sister-in-law and my brother-in-law that live in Franklin, and they were all about it. They thought it would be great. And so Nico went down there for a couple weeks during the summer, and he I went there down I went down there about a week before school started, mm-hmm. and I wanted him to come back home with me and. He was happy and excited, and he had been school shopping, and I can remember looking at the clothes that he bought for school, and it was almost like he was trying to change the person that he was. I mean, he had these plaid shorts and polo shirts, and Nico was a sneaker, uh, gym shorts, ripped off the sleeves kind of shirt. He, He liked basketball look, I guess. Okay. Well, this was kind of preppy look. And okay. I thought, hmm, well, maybe, you know, maybe this will be good for him. And so ultimately, I was there for a few days, and I went to the school to see where he would go to school. And I had went to the office and met some of the employees there and whatnot. And a few days later, I came back home, and he stayed there. And he seemed to do well at first, and I guess – there was a point where it was a struggle for him. Um, he had outbursts at my in-laws and he just seemed mad at the world. And one day he had skipped school and my sister-in-law had found out that he had skipped school. Mm-hmm. And, um, well, let me go back like a few hours earlier. He yeah. didn't come home when he was supposed to, and there was a curfew that he had and he didn't, he didn't show up at home. And so my in-laws called the police and he did not go to school the next day. So my sister-in-law took off work and was looking for him and she found him at a friend's house and the police were with her. 
and she went up on the porch and you go and his friends were in a hot tub and she said, you need to get out of the hot tub and you need to get dried off. You need to come with me. So he did. And she said, when we walk down out of here, the police are down here waiting for you and I don't want a scene and you are going to have to go with them because in Tennessee, you don't just run away from home and not have to answer to answer to anyone and we actually took him to juvenile hall. So that was not good. He was mad at my sister-in-law. He was mad at me. He was mad at everybody that was involved in him having to go to juvenile hall. But, well, if you don't show up at home and you don't call anybody and let them know where you are, what are people supposed to do? Right. So they did what they felt was right. And um, after uh, he went to juvenile hall, my sister-in-law had... Um, had him go and talk to a counselor and had him in a program down there. And it was kids that had anger issues, that type of thing. And he was diagnosed with um, a defiant disorder and put on medication. Well, he was not going to take medication because there was nothing wrong with him. So um, this was like in, I'm going to say October to November of 2009 and he was in 11th grade there so he he came home um, for Thanksgiving and he was kind of quiet and reserved he didn't want to really reach out to anybody here Um, and let me say a a couple years prior he had lost his best friend in a car accident here at home and then uh, my father passed away who he was very close with. So Nico had dealt with some a lot of stuff going on in his life. Yeah, he had a lot, stuff. a lot going on. On top of the wrestling, right? Yeah. So you know, he at times felt defeated and just you know kind of wanted to kick the world's ass, kind of thing. I think mm-hmm. you know from a mother's point of view, when you know I look back at these things, and you know he called me one day in February. And, um, 2011, said, um, uh, what year? No, 2010. February 2010. 2010. Okay. So he's supposed to be in school in Franklin, Tennessee. And he called me and he said, you need to come and pick me up. I'm at the airport. And I said, what, what, what are you talking about? I'm not going to stay with the aunt and the uncle anymore. I don't like their rules. Um, I want to come home. And so I'm home. And my sister-in-law um, had actually entrusted him with a credit card that he could use in an emergency situation or, you know, he could buy small things with it or whatever. It was a controlled credit card that she and her husband had and let him have it. Well, he took the credit card and bought himself a plane ticket home. Wow. And so I picked him up and he came home with us and... I took him back down to the school here to re-enroll him. And so we re-enrolled him here and he finished the year out and it was like, I don't know, like walking on nails every day. He was just, he was unhappy and it was, we didn't know what to do for him. And at one point he was that summer, he went to his dad's and then he was back here and, it was a back and forth kind of thing. Whoever, you know, whoever had the strongest rules at the moment, he didn't want to be there. He wanted yeah. to be somewhere else. Yeah. So 
that's, you know. What, what do you think went on? I mean, did it. you ever get anything from him or from, I guess it would be your sister-in-law, about no. what went on in Tennessee? What well, went on we, down? We don't know. We we have surmised. I mean, I just, I listened to what he said, and it was that he didn't like the rules there, and he wasn't going to listen to what they have to say, blah, 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 that type mm-hmm. of thing. And she felt like, well, I didn't really think anything was wrong. I knew that he was mad about the juvenile hall thing, and he was mad about going to the counseling classes, but she didn't feel that he was going to up and disappear in the middle of the day when he was supposed to be at school. Right. So, and I mean, we all look back now, and I know, you know, I know that there were certain people down there that he evidently didn't get along with, and I just have to guess, did something happen when he was in school there? Is that why he showed back up here in the middle of the school year? I mean, I I don't have the answers to those things. And he never said they didn't know. Uh, did your sister-in-law have any kids who, any children who could relate to Nico, never passed anything no, along were, She She did have children that were much younger than Nico. Okay. And Nico was great with her kids. She, she, and she would tell you, you know, I trusted him any day of the week with my kids. He watched mm-hmm. the kids for her. He was a lifeguard at their pool. Um, you know, he, he seemed okay at certain times and other times. He was mad as a wet hen, I guess. And, and, and we, are, we never it, knew why. Yeah. Uh, am I to then surmise then that, okay, so you took him down and he wanted to go down during the summer. And like you said, you went down there before the school started. He's trying to change his image. Uh, did these behaviors right. not show up until he started going to school? Yes. Started mm-hmm. when he was started school. Okay. All right. So maybe it did have something that, to do with somebody he ran into new kids at the school or something like that possible yes very possible very possible okay all right so he went down there uh was there from summer of 2009 until february 2010 jumped on a jet came back there and like you said when you got back it was still he seemed to be like a caged animal almost wanted to get to bust out right okay that's that's a good way to put it okay now, we do have to talk about something. Um, we're just going to touch upon this. Uh, I don't know how big of a deal it is, but it is on the public record. What uh, was this? Was Nico charged uh, with um, raping a 14-year-old girl? Was that? I, I'm not saying that it happened, but was he charged with that? He was charged. And can you explain, I mean, did this happen before he went to Tennessee or when he came back? No, this was after. It was in 2011. Okay. Um, it was August. And we had actually went to a county fair. And we were at the county fair, and Nico's phone rang. And he went off to take the phone call, and he came back to me, and he said, Mom, he said, we have to go. And I said, why? What, what's going on? And he said, that was the... Um, Hornell City Police, and they want to talk to me about something. We have to go. You have to take me there. And I was so mad at him. He would, Nico had been in fist fights and things, and the police had shown up at my house, and it just seemed like every time something happened, the police would show up at my house or call here, or it's like, oh my gosh, what did you do now? You know, and I, and I was yelling at him the whole way to Hornell. 
Right. And I'm like, this is great. You know, this you do this to yourself and blah, blah, blah. And if you end up in jail, don't ask me for money because I'm not giving it to you. So we we go to the the police station and I was going to go in with him. And he said, no. He said, I'll go in by myself. And I said, okay, call me and let me know what's going on. So I came home and he called me a little while later and he was just beside himself. And I'm like, what is wrong? What is going on? And he said, I got in here and they're charging me with rape. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And he said, this girl has said that I raped her. And so they were keeping him and they were going to arraign him the next morning. And so I went up and went to the arraignment and they released him. (coughs) Excuse me. And um, so he came home with me and we were talking about it. And I'm like, well, you know, what is going on with us? And he said, I did not rape that girl. And there's a whole bunch of us that have been arrested now for her. And he had a police uh, report from the police station where the girl had made a statement. And she had said that, she had had sex with him, but she couldn't remember what the date was. And it was either such and such a date or such and such a date. And one of the dates, Nico would have been 17 years old. And the other date, Nico would have been 18 years old. Mm-hmm. So because the girl didn't know what the exact date was, that she had, in, in her own words, she had consensual sex with him. But because of New York state law, yeah. It, does, it doesn't matter if she right. says that because she's not of age. Right. So it was a rape charge due to one of the dates that was written on the report. And, and so, were these dates any, I mean, this happened in, like you said, August, were either of these dates close to August of 2011 or were these months in the past? No, one was in May and one was in June. Huh. And so the arrest being in August, my assumption is because there were quite a few boys that were charged with different things from uh, rape to endangering the welfare of a child. Um, uh, There was reckless endangerment or something to that effect for people that weren't 18 years old. Anybody that was 18 and over was charged with rape. And there were, there were many, many boys in the area that were arrested over the same girl. How many numbers? So, you, of course, do not give any of their names, but how many would you say? I'm going to say plus 10. Wow. Okay. And so there were many. And um, I, you know, I know my son, and my son, if he wanted to finagle with a girl, he did not have to force anybody into anything. Uh and he just didn't have that in him. Nico was someone around women, around girls. He was a protector. If anyone spoke, you know, cross to a girl that he was with, Nico would take control of the situation, and nobody misused a girl or misused a woman or a grandmother, or he had respect for women. And due to the fact that I read the police report, If my son had engaged in sex with this girl, I don't believe he asked for her ID, number one. And I was told at a later date by a police officer, the police officer asked me if I had ever met this girl, if I knew her. And I said, no, I don't. And the officer told me that they had met 
And the officer said, I was shocked to know that the girl was the age that she was because to the officer, this girl looked over 18. So, and to this day, I have never laid eyes on the girl. I don't, I don't you didn't know, know her, her personally. And yeah, right. Once not. again, we're not using her name, but you, she didn't go to like Nico's school or anything like that. No. You didn't know her parents, nothing like that. No. Okay. No, but I do know that I have a Facebook page set up that's called search for Nico Lisi. Mm-hmm. And that girl is a member of the group. And as I sit as a mother and I look at that, I think if this girl, it, because when you hear the word rape, and I don't care where you are or who you are, when you hear the word rape, you think someone is forced down and their clothes are ripped and they're smacked around a little bit and they're, you know, someone's forcing themselves on someone. And that is not the case. I mean, and the girl stated that in the police report that I read. And, you know, I don't know what the outcome of that ever would have been because Nico disappeared in September. Nico had an attorney. He had met with his attorney that I, by the way, did not pay for. And um, the attorney knew the circumstances of the number of people that had been arrested. Um, And he felt that, you know, people are going to be getting reduced charges out of this. You know, some of this might even be dropped. Nico, you know, you don't really have to worry. But Nico was on edge and didn't want to leave the house because he was so embarrassed that his name had been in the paper. And he is, he's looking at me and telling me, I am not going to be labeled for the rest of my life. And, you know, he could have had to have registered as a sex offender. Yep, if he was found guilty. Sure. So, so did you ever have a chance? Did you know any of the other uh, young men or boys who yes. were involved? You knew some of them. Yes. And did you have a chance to talk to their parents while this was going on? I mean, did they have the same? Oh, yeah. I guess you would say doubts that you did. Yes. Mhm. They they felt the same way that I did. Okay. And I mean, there were a pair of brothers that were both arrested, that were Nico's friends. And, you know, it, I just, I mean, I don't, I don't know what more I can really say about it. I, it makes me angry. It makes me angry, but the bottom line is the law is the law. Mm -hmm. And even if he was 18 and did engage in sex with this girl, he was being charged with rape. Bottom line, it happened. Do I think that the law needs to be changed? I sure do. And that's a whole nother show. I mean, yes, it is. Okay. But here's the point we mainly want to make about this. These charges were still pending against him when he disappeared at the end of September, early October of 2011. But the trial, given all these other young men who were involved, they did, they were still, none of them disappeared. Uh, did any of right. them ever end up going to jail or did they, any of them ever have to lay, end up being labeled as a sex offender? Anything like that? No. No. Were the charges and eventually dropped or know, what happened? I do know that a couple of people that were arrested because they had previous arrests, they were not released on their own recognizance. They were remanded to the Stephen County Jail awaiting trial. And when they went to trial, all charges were dropped. And to still today, to some of those boys that that happened to, yeah. I mean, they, they spent time in jail. Yeah. Over over this girl, and eventually it was dropped, and it's not on their record anymore. But right. still, they spent weeks and weeks in jail until they went to court. 
And so there's a lot of angry people out there still I'm after bad. all of these years. And not I, to, and I I'd like to mention also sure. that the young woman that the young lady that this happened to, she also reached out to my daughter, and wrote my daughter a letter, and it was I believe it was through I don't know if it was Facebook or Messenger or whatever, and it was a couple years after the this whole nightmare began, and she reached out to my daughter apologizing to my daughter about all of the trouble that she had caused. Now, I, I, I have a problem with that still all these yeah. years later because what do I know? You know, the police believed that when Nico left that possibly he's running because of the charges, sure. uh, you know, with the rape charge. Of course. And, and of course, that, that enters my mind. But then on the flip side of that, I knew that my son would call me and, you know, so I went years of bouncing back and forth of, well, could he be hiding? No, something must have happened to him. He would have called me. I know my kid. He would have called me. Something has happened to him. You know, so I have fought with this all these years. And, you know, that, that charge certainly, you know, engulfed the whole situation as far as the police really looking for him at first or whatever, because they believed he was on the run. Yeah. Absolutely true. I get, and, and do you, um, being that you saw this uh, apology that this girl sent to your daughter, Nico's sister, uh, mm -hmm. do you, in so many words, do you think that that girl is saying that she made it all up and she's apologizing for getting all these kids and boys in trouble? Is that I how you? I don't really. I don't read it that way. I look at it like this. I think that she was a young girl, and I think that her parents found out that she was having sex. And I think that her parents were probably furious. And I think that they dragged her to the police station and said, here, this is what we're going to do. And then she is scared out of her mind. Uh -huh. And she writes down who she's had sex with. And then the police do what they have to do. And they go out and they arrest all these people. And years later, you know, she's growing up during all this time. You know, she right now has kids of her own. Wow. and you know, she probably looks back at the situation and thinks, man, you know, I wish, you know, this wouldn't have happened. And a lot of people don't like me now. And, you know, people are never going to forget this in this area. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. So yeah. she has, I mean, she's got, she's got a lot of things that she's got to deal with too in the aftermath. Um, the way that I look at it, if I have a 14 year old daughter and she's being promiscuous, do I think that I'm going to take her to the police station and have a bunch of people arrested? No, I think that I'd sit my daughter down and my problem is with my daughter. But, I mean, every parent is different, and we make different decisions. Right. Okay, so let's just put this on in a, a nutshell so we can move on here. So he was accused of rape, but he and, and I guess at least 10 other young men were accused. But none of them ever went to jail for that. The charges were dropped. And the possibility, the, the I guess almost with 100% uh, probability, is that had Nico not disappeared, probably the charges would have been dropped against him as well. I'm assuming that. Okay. Because the people that I know were involved, nothing happened to them. <laughs> so. Okay. I understand. Okay. So let's just say probably that the, either the evidence was weak or the girl recanted her statement or whatever else. All we know is none of those guys – 
uh, ever spent any time in jail for this particular crime. Maybe they've been in trouble with the law for other things since, but nothing uh, regarding this. Are those um, are there still charges against Nico in the state of New York for this because he ran? If he you didn't know, run, he didn't run, there, but you know what I mean. Well, the warrant, the warrant that was issued for him in December of 2000, or I don't know if it was November or December. I'm sorry, I don't remember the exact date, but of, of 2011, there was a warrant issued for him, and the warrant was a failure to appear. Right. It was not a warrant that said rape charge. It was right. a failure to appear. Yes. Okay. All right. So that, and that is something that still exists to this day in the state of New York? I I have no idea. Right. I I would assume so, but I don't know that for a fact. Okay. All right. So he had so uh, Nico had that going on, but he had gotten a lawyer. He was uh, he was thinking you, your opinion, like you said, you weren't paying the lawyer. Um, but Nico was fully intent on fighting these charges. Of course, he did not know what was going to eventually happen with all of them getting dropped. But he had, in your opinion, as his mother seeing him every day. You believe they had every intention of fighting these charges? Absolutely. He had three appearances in court that we went to. That okay. It was just getting postponed. So he had every intent of appearing. Okay. Great. Thank you. And so. Okay. All right. Um, well, of course, that is certainly a big deal. But now that you look back at it now, let's move up now. That was in August of 2011. This move may be to mid-September. This, of course, is still going on. I'm sure that... Nico has seen his lawyer a couple times. Was there anything else besides that that you that seemed to be on Nico's mind? Anything else um, that wor- worried you besides that? When when the arrest happened, he stayed home all day long, and he did not want to leave the house. And he had been, I don't know, he had been in the house a couple weeks, and. I had come home one day and I said, you are not going to lay around on this couch all day. I said, you are going to go find a job. You are not living here off of us for free. You are going to do something with yourself. And an argument ensued between the two of us. And he he went up and he got some stuff and he said, I'm going to Nana's. And I said, fine, go ahead. That's your mother's? That that would be his grandmother's? Okay. Right. And so he went to my mother's and she has, my mom had a cabin and Nico liked to spend time in that cabin. My dad and the kids and my uncle built this cabin on our land and he liked to spend time in it. He liked to be outdoors. He liked to hunt that type of thing. And so I thought he'll go over there and blow off some steam. And so I called my mom and told her that Nico was on foot and on his way to her house. and. So he ended up showing up at my mom's and stayed there for a few days. And so um, he didn't, I I would call him and I would text him, but he didn't show back up here. He wasn't coming back to the house. And one night I was over to my sister's, this was a Tuesday night. And um, I was at my sister's and we were cooking out and he came over on the four wheelers to my sister's and, and I said, are you, you know, done being cranky and being nasty? And mm-hmm. he said, are you done being cranky and nasty? That type of thing. And I said, yeah. And we stood there and the little kids were playing basketball and we're standing against my car talking and everything seemed fine. He was 
like I said, on my brother's four-wheeler. He had ridden it from my mom's to my sister's. We're visiting. We're playing basketball with the little kids. We're, you know, outside having fun, goofing around, talking, visiting. And I ended up leaving, and he had stayed at my sister's. And that was on a Tuesday, and then on Friday he was gone. Okay. <laughs> and I had, I had talked to him on Thursday, on the 29th. Mm-hmm. And I said, do you have that four-wheeler down on the flat? And he said, yeah, we were riding down there. And I said, well, stay off the flat because Aunt Barbara doesn't want you down there. And he said, all right. And that that was a conversation that we had on Thursday. And then Friday, um, I don't know if you're ready to go to... Well, we'll, we'll get down there in a second. Let's talk about a certain guy, though, first. We're going to get into that in a second. But So you talked to him on September 29th. And I should ask you one more question. Was your mother saying anything to you while he was staying over there? Was she saying, well, he's saying this? Or, you know, was she kind of being like your pipeline of what he was saying, you know, while he was over there? No, they had, they ate out one night. They watched movies together. He was hanging out at the house and a couple nights he had left and went up to the cabin to stay. Okay. And my mother didn't think anything was wrong with him. Let's talk about a guy because he's going to feature be featured prominently uh, from now on. His name is Robbie Knight, K I or K N I G H T. Who mm-hmm. is he, and um, how did he come into the picture with Nico? Robbie Knight was a boy that went to school um, with my kids, and he was actually a, a friend of my older son Joe, and. Um, a lot of kids like to hang out at Robbie Knight's house because Robbie Knight lived with his grandparents and Robbie Knight had, I guess, control of the whole upstairs of the home and kids could go there and they would drink and they would smoke. And, um, so Robbie's house was a cool house to hang out at and Robbie and Nico were never friends in school. and. So when I found out that Nico had been with Robbie, I was, I was shocked. I had no idea that Robbie Knight was around Nico. I, I had no clue. And so we think my, my oldest son thinks that, um, he had got a, a, a Facebook post from Robbie that said, hit me up. Now, my son was in college at the time. My oldest son, he was in college. Joe. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So he was in college and gets this Facebook post and he thought that possibly Nico saw that and Nico reached out to Robbie for somebody to hang out with. Now, we aren't sure how that all came together because Robbie and Nico never, ever hung out together before all of this happened. Mm-hmm. Not to any of our knowledge. Anyway, we've I've never seen Robbie Knight with my son Nico. Right. Never. Even since 2011, you've not ever been able to make a concrete connection how those two ended up together. No. Okay. No. Joe okay. assumed that it was over a Facebook post. Okay. Uh, if I may ask, uh, not to delve into it too deeply, I know that Robbie was not welcome at your house because he had a reputation. I mean, did he and your older son, did he ever get it, your son in any trouble, your older son? Or was well, your son too smart for that? There, there was, there was some trouble there, and 
um, I had been to Robbie's grandparents' house and um, after I told Joseph that I didn't want him over there and Mm -hmm. I went to the school to pick Joseph up one day and Joseph was over at Robbie's and I went in and I said, I do not want him here. And Robbie's grandfather said, well, he's such, he's such a nice boy, blah, blah, blah. Well, then after that, after Robbie leaves with Nico years, you know, a couple years later and things go awry, then all of a sudden the Knights will say that they didn't like Robbie or that they didn't, I'm sorry, that they didn't like Joseph, Yeah. that they didn't want Joseph in their house. Well, that man would stand and tell what a nice boy that Joseph was and blah, 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 blah. And I'm the one that didn't want my son in their house. And, and Joseph never brought Robbie up here because I didn't want him around. He knew better. I I knew better. Right, right. he knew better. And okay. I and I have to say I you know I have I'm a hairdresser and so I had kids coming into my shop and people telling me things that were going on at the night's house and that's why I was so I don't know rotten about even letting Joseph go there. And of course, you know, you're a teenager and you lie to your parents and you end up somewhere that your parents have no idea where you are. And, you know, kids do that stuff. And even mine, mine did that too. You know, I did it. I'm sure you did it. Mm-hmm. And it was, I mean, if my son was going to Robbie Knight's house, he wasn't ever going to let me know because I didn't like him. Okay. I didn't, I just didn't care for him. And Robbie Knight, be, um, I'm guessing that Robbie may, was maybe a couple years older than Nico was, maybe two years older, maybe? Yes. Yeah, about oh. that. Okay. And just one more thing before we get to September 30th. Uh, at some point, and you, I know you didn't find this out till later, but uh, Nico lost his ID. Um, we yeah. know that – I mean, would this be a driver's license? Uh, we know that he didn't have a vehicle. but yeah, it was his driver's license. It was his driver's license, and he lost it. Um, did he tell you about losing this, this license at all before he disappeared? No, no. Had no idea. And where was it? Just so we're clear, where was it found? It was found in Hornell, New York, in front of the post office. Okay. And we'll, we'll come back to that in a little bit, but we just want to make clear before he disappeared, he never told you or his brother or anybody else that you know of that he lost his ID. Right. Okay. That's correct. And do you have any idea what day that might have been of that week that he lost it, that he would have been in, in that, that town? The only um, the only thing that I know is that there was a letter or a note inside an envelope with the idea it was mailed to my house. And it said, I found this outside on the ground in front of the post office. I thought you would need it. And it was postmarked uh, the 1st of October. Okay. All right. So maybe it was found on the 30th, maybe, but who knows how Possibly. long, who knows how long it would have been there. Uh, would, uh, I mean, um, is that where Nico's, uh, where he was staying with your mother? Is that where they live? I mean, would he have any no. reason to be in that town? Well, his father lives in Hornell, but okay. to our knowledge, he was not there. I mean, his father hadn't seen him either. He was at my mother's, and that's in the opposite direction. Okay. All right. I want the listeners to think about that. Okay. Let's go on to September 30th. Um, okay. uh, of course, a lot of this you didn't find out till afterwards, but we're just going to pretend – we're just going to describe it as it happens. What do you now know about that day, September 30th? I came home from work. It was a Friday. 
And in the evening between, I'm going to say, 8 and 9 o'clock that night, my brother called me. And he said, um, have you talked to Nico today? And I said, no, not today. What's up? He goes, well, he was at my house this afternoon with that Robbie Knight kid. And that's how I found out that Nico was hanging out with Robbie Knight. That's when you first found out. Okay. And I said, what what are you talking about? What was he doing with Robbie Knight? And he said, well, he said that they were going camping. And I said, camping? Camping where? I mean, it was, you know, fall. It's Mm. it's getting colder at night and stuff. And I'm like, what do you mean he's going camping? He said, well, he said that they met some girls online and that they were going to go camping in Buffalo. And and my brother thought it was odd enough to call me. And I said, I don't, I have no idea what you're talking about. And so we get off the phone and I try to call Nico's phone and he's not answering it. And so I text it and I said, Hey, I know you were here today because your bedroom door was open and your sneakers are gone. What else did you take? And I get a text back, clothes, duh. And I text him again and said something to the effect of where are you and who are you with? And he wouldn't answer me back. And at this point in time, it's after 11 o'clock at night and I'm in bed. I have to work the next morning and I'm just like, oh, my God, you know, here we go again. And great. He's hanging out with Robbie Knight. So I went to bed and didn't think too much more of it, to be honest with you. Do you know why any reason why he even stopped at, I guess, at your brother's place, Nico's uncle's? I mean, when was the last time he was there, to your knowledge? Had he ever been there before? Were they close? What do you think? They are very close. My brother lived right next door to my mom, and it was my brother's four-wheeler that he had been riding around. And um, actually, the day before Nico left, he was babysitting my brother's daughter while Mm. my brother and his girlfriend were at work. So... Nico, during the day, was at my brother's house on Thursday babysitting. And then he went back Friday afternoon with Robbie Knight and told my brother that they were going camping. Okay. So, yeah, it was very normal for him to be around my brother. Okay. And did your brother know who Robbie Knight was, and did he know he was trouble? No. He did not know. He just said some Robbie Knight kid. Okay. No, my brother didn't know him. All right. And Robbie had a truck with him, did he not? Yes, he did. Okay, so it was a truck, and what did and what did, did Robbie? Not, I what? did not know that. I did not know that Friday oh, okay. night. Okay. Um, I just knew that they were there and said they were going camping, and I didn't. I didn't ask too many questions. It was like, oh, all right, whatever. Okay. And I, you know, I, nothing came to me till the next morning. So. Let's go to Saturday morning. All right, let's go. All right, so you're trying to call me. He only replies to you once saying, close, duh. That was yep. 11 o'clock at night. Uh, you're Saturday a hairdresser, night. so most hairdressers work on Saturday. So this is going to be mm-hmm. Saturday, October 1st, 2011. I even have in here in my notes, this is where it kind of gets a little murky, but we're going to push forward. Um, what do you remember about that day? I went to work. I remember the first customers coming in. And the woman was sitting in my sister's chair because my sister and I did hair at the at the time together. And she said, did you guys read about that stolen truck in the, in the paper? And I looked at her and I said, no. I said, what stolen truck? She said, well, there was a stolen truck from 
to Ben Street the other night. And I said, really? I said, well, do you have the paper? She said, hey, Bill, go out and get the paper for Monica. So her husband went out and got the paper for me. I stand there and I open up the paper and I'm reading this article about the stolen vehicle and I was physically ill. And I went out back to the shop and I called my brother and I said, what kind of vehicle did those boys have at your house? And he starts describing this vehicle that I'm reading about in the paper. And I was just sick. And my sister came out and she said, what is wrong? And so I'm just all over the place trying to tell her about, you know, Nico being at my brother's the day before and he's with Ravi Knight and I just talked to Zach and he's telling me about this truck and it's the same description as what the stolen truck is. And so I called my husband and I wanted him to give me the number of Robbie Knight's grandparents because that's who Robbie lives with in town. And I'm just all over the place with my husband and he's telling me, you need to calm down. And this is crazy. And you know, you, you don't know any of this to be true. And I'm like, I know those boys have something to do with this. And I was just nuts. And so he gave me the number to Robbie's grandparents. I called there. Um, and the grandmother had said that uh, she had dropped Robbie off about a week before up at my mother's cabin. And Robbie wanted to go up there with Nico, so she took him to some cabin. And so Robbie Knight had been at my mother's cabin for a week. Now, Let's go back. That Tuesday night that I was at my sister's, Nico was alone at my sister's on a four-wheeler. When he babysat on Thursday, he was alone. Robbie Knight was not with him. So Robbie Knight must have been up in my parents' cabin this whole time. By himself. Yeah. Okay. Because Nico didn't take him around where any of my family saw him. Right. So so, um, I am telling her, I said, those boys are up to no good. They are in trouble. And she's like, oh, no, 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 they wouldn't do that. And Robbie just said that, you know, he was just going to give us our life back. And he was just, you know, he was going to start anew and this and that. And I'm like, are you listening to me? Like, I think these boys have stolen a truck. And she's like, oh, no, no, they wouldn't do that. And because at one point I'd asked her, I said, does Robbie have your truck? And she said, oh, no, we don't have a truck. And then I knew, and I'm like, oh my god. Yeah, because Robbie, so, the day before, wasn't it at your uncle's that they said that it was that the it grant, was, yeah, it was the their truck. truck, and it was an outright lie. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And when where I are Robbie's parents? Family, I mean, where maybe the listeners are wondering why is he staring with his grandparents? Where are Robbie's nice parents? Robbie's parents live in Romulus, Michigan, and Robbie was here living with his grandparents. Um, I, I don't know because his grandparents never sat down and told me this, but the rumor mill was that Robbie had been in trouble in Michigan. And so he was here and Robbie had been in trouble with the law here also. So I don't, I mean, he lived, they, I guess they lived near Detroit and they wanted him out of that city and they wanted him somewhere country. And this is where his grandparents lived. So they had him come here to stay with them. Okay. So on Saturday, you you hear about this story. You automatically make the connection that the the truck that they were in is a stolen truck. You're of course right. trying to call uh, Nico. He's not answering. But at some point during that day, uh, does your mother call him? 
And he does so, answer. So I ended up leaving work that day, and I came home, and we had company coming in from out of town, and we had dinner plans. So I am crazy on the phone. Um, my husband is like, you are nuts, and you, you know, you need to settle down, and you know, we have company. So we go to dinner and I'm at dinner and my phone rings and it was a little bit after five o'clock and I answered the phone and it was my mom. And she said, I just called his phone and he answered it. And he said, I can't talk right now. I'll call you back. And so I'm sitting at the dinner table and I'm burning up his phone and I call his sister. I call his brother. I call his dad and I'm telling everybody, call Nico's phone, call Nico's mm-hmm. phone because he just called Nana. So you got to try to get a hold of him. Well, Everybody was calling the phone, and he wasn't answering the phone anymore. And that was the last that anybody heard from him. Okay, so it's I, you would say that sometime in the afternoon, early evening, October 1st, 2011. Yes. And yes. it was like a very quick phone call. He just said that, you know, Grandma, I can't talk to you right now, and that was that. Right. No idea of where he was, what he was doing. Don't know if he was in a car or in a house. We don't know. No clue. Okay. All right, so uh, there were no signs of Nico after that, although we're going to uh, hear some more about this. Anything on social media that you were able to track down? Was he cunt? Was anybody like shouting out to him on like September 30th, October 1st? Did he have any social media usage, let's say, on that Saturday? I have no idea. And at that time, I did not even have a Facebook. I didn't know anything about Facebook. I didn't use social media. The kids all did. Um, And after I had um, contacted the police, I called the police on Saturday. And I I can't tell you exactly what time because I can't remember if it was before I had left work or later that afternoon. But I had called the police and told them who I was. And I said, I believe that my son has something to do with the stolen vehicle that was in the paper today. And... They didn't know what I was talking about, so they shoved me to another barracks, and that barracks didn't know, and they weren't sure who was handling it. And finally, on Monday, I was called by an investigator that was handling the stolen truck issue. So, um, you know, I I did what I thought I had to do. Sure. You know, I thought I I need to tell somebody because sure. somebody needs to look for my kid. Sure. So. You know, the the phone call on Saturday, um, that was the last that we heard from him. When you talked to the cop who was in charge of this stolen truck, uh, were you under the impression he had ever even heard from anybody that Robbie Knight and Nico Lisi might have been the, the thieves? Was that news to him, I'm, do you think? I'm, I'm assuming that the police knew um, because I was asked to go to the local police department and they asked me if I could ID some photos. Mm. Now, I, and that part for me is, you know, still kind of blank. I mean, the police that over the years have shared a lot with me, but mm. I don't know where they got his name. I don't know if they knew that it was Robbie Knight with him, but I, I did go to the police station. Um, there were pictures there, still shots, and I told them who it was. Where did it look like those were those taken from like a convenience store or a bank or what do you think? One of them, one of them was from a gas station and one of them was from a Wegmans. Okay. 
do you think that those locations and were were in New York or were they from some other state? Both of them were in New York. Okay. All right, and they must have been taken, I guess, sometime on maybe September 30th, October 1st, something like that. Then, to your to right. your to your knowledge. Right. Okay. So the last time that anybody uh, that we can trust, you, that you would trust, I mean, you know these people, would be your mother on October 1st. Like you said, a few days later, uh, you were at the police station. They showed you these pictures. But um, in that time, nobody heard from him. You had no idea where uh, he was at all. No. You, you know, For no. all you know, maybe they did keep their word and they went camping in the Buffalo area. You didn't know uh, at all. Right. Okay. No. So we are now going um um we now go once again to October 3rd and we're going to go back to that ID. That's when you got that in the mail. Right. Right? Uh I received it on October 3rd on Monday. Okay. I came home from work, got the mail, and there was an envelope in there addressed to Nico. And I opened it up and it was his license and there was a little note attached that said I found this on the ground in front of the post office in Hornell, I thought you might need it. And I called the police to tell them that I had it. And that was pretty much the end of that. Okay. Do you have any idea who sent the ID to you? Um, I do. Uh, I had, there was a return address on there. And um, that man was talked to, oh, I don't know, three or four years later. Oh, that- that long later. That's not encouraging, mm-hmm. but okay. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you find his story to be believable? Do you believe that he found it out in front of the post office in Hornell, New York? Oh, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I know I asked you this before, but just to refresh the listeners' memories, any idea why Nico would have been in Hornell, New York? How close is that to where you live? Uh, you said that's Hornell. where his father lives. Is that right? Right, yes. And Hornell is about... Um, say 20, 25 minutes away from where we live. Um, and, you know, as we know that he and, you know, that Robbie ended up in Romulus, Michigan, and they're assuming mm-hmm. that he and Nico went there together, you would you would go through Hornell if you were headed to Romulus, Michigan. Okay. So we don't know if he dropped it or he threw it out the window. We just, you have right. no, we have no idea. This is just right. one more mystery on top of all the other um, kind of unusual things with this disappearance. Okay. All right. So some good Samaritan did that and you gave, uh, you told the police about it, but we're not sure if that has anything to do with his disappearance or not. It's just a weird, maybe it's a coincidence. We just don't know people losing IDs all the time. Um, Let's get back to the, where was the truck actually stole stolen from? It was stolen from Addison, New York. Okay. And is that where you live? That's where I work. That's where I work. Um, That's where I grew up. That's where my mom lives. And my mom lives about, um, by car, 15 minutes to town where the truck was stolen. Okay. And if we are to believe, I mean, really, I mean, we know that Nico and Robbie ended up in the car together, the truck together, but we don't know. It could be, well, that Robbie stole the truck on his own. Nico wouldn't have necessarily had to have been there. Um, would Nico right. or and or Robbie have any reason to be in Addison, New York? And neither of them have vehicles, so how would they even get there? Any well, idea about any was, of that? 
I have no idea how they would have gotten down there. Um, at the time, I had no idea. Um, since everything has happened, um, I knew that there were a couple of girls that were giving them rides around, and they were going up to my mother's and picking the boys up in the middle of the night mm. if they text okay. them and call them. So they were being driven around the area. Okay. And we did not know that at the time. Okay. We know you, that now. You know that now, and so you have a suspicion that that's how Robbie and Nico, if Nico was even there, we don't know, uh, it, that's how they got to that area um, and the yeah. truck was stolen. Um, you told me that the owner left the keys in it, the truck. I mean, is that true? I'm, I'm assuming, I'm assuming so. Um, and I, I have spoke with him mm-hmm. and I am just assuming that they were left in his truck. Okay. All right. I didn't know people still did that anymore, but uh, okay. So it wasn't, it wasn't hot wired or, or anything no. like that to your knowledge. Okay. No. And, and, and is it just that? Once again, we don't know who did this. We don't know if it was the two boys together or one of them on their own. But uh, is it just your opinion that they just happened to pick out a random vehicle and steal it? Mm-hmm, I do. Okay. All right. So that guy's looking for his truck, and you ended up eventually finding out who he was and, and talking to him. All right. So yes. as of October 3rd, let's say a few days later, the truck is missing. Nico is missing. Robbie Knight is missing. And you're thinking maybe they just went on some joyride. We don't know. Now, when did you finally talk to Robbie Knight's father? And as you already said, he lives in Michigan. Tell the listeners about that. So I wanted the phone number to Robbie's father's house in Michigan. And I asked the grandmother for it several times, and she would not give it to me. She told me that um, Robert was not happy because Robbie showed up there unannounced. Um, She said that. Uh, it wouldn't matter because Robbie wasn't there anyway because the boys were having car trouble, meaning Robbie and his brother, Christopher. And so this went on for a few days. And again, my husband is still kind of thinking, like you said, they're out on a joyride. They're going to show up. They're going to be back. And by Wednesday, the 5th of October, my husband was a little nervous and very, very concerned and called Robbie's grandparents and said, look, we want the phone number out there. We need to talk to someone out there. And to my knowledge, with dealing with the police, I did not believe that the police here had been in touch with the police out there because I'm asking every day, like, have they picked Robbie up? Has anybody talked to Robbie? And, you know, I wasn't given all of that information. so. My husband gets the phone number from Robbie's grandmother. He calls, and it's a disconnected phone number. So he calls back and asks Diane for the phone number again. And she gave him another number, and he called, and Robbie's father answered the phone. And my husband told him who he was. He said, I'm Nico's stepfather. And, you know, Nico and Robbie left here, and we haven't heard from Nico. And we, you know, we're concerned, and we'd like to know what you know. And he told my husband that Robbie arrived there when he was at work. Um, he came home from work and Robbie was sleeping on the couch. What day would and that have been, does he say? We don't know if this is true, but what day? Right. Saturday. Saturday, October 1st. Okay. Um, between 10 and 11 a.m., he came home from work and Robbie was sleeping on the sofa. And um, my husband wanted to speak with Robbie and he said, well, Robbie isn't here. 
the Michigan State Police have taken him to talk to him. But when he comes back, I'll have him, you know, call you. But the boys were here all weekend. And my husband just had a weird look on his face. And I mean, of course, he tells me the conversation after he gets off the phone. And he said, you know, he said to me two or three times, the boys were here all weekend. They didn't leave. And he goes, and I never asked him that. But he was, you know, very adamant in letting me know that the boys didn't leave all weekend. So I have to just ask, why were the Michigan police questioning Robbie? If you were the first person to actually track Robbie's father down, why had the Michigan police already gotten to Robbie by that point? Well, because I had called the New York State Police and told them that I knew that I had spoke with Robbie's grandmother. Robbie was with Mm. my son. And Robbie's grandmother, I mean, I knew on the 1st that Robbie was in Michigan. I knew that on Saturday the 1st because she told me that when I called her. okay. That Robbie was in Michigan. So I knew that Robbie was in Michigan on Saturday, October 1st. Okay. But nobody had supposedly seen Nico. Okay. And she wouldn't give me the phone number there, so I had no contact. Right, so it took a few days. But in the meantime, something happened that the Michigan police went over to the night house and got Robbie. And And I'm assuming that it's because New York State Police knew that Robbie Knight was with Nico Lisi. And now there's a stolen truck, and Robbie ends up in Michigan. So I believe New York State Police had a hand in the Michigan police going there. Okay, so but it's good. It maybe some good. So some good police work, maybe. Finally, them doing well, something. Well, it should have happened, you know, four days earlier, but we'll take it. Okay. All right. So, uh, your step, uh, your husband. I'm sorry, Nico's stepfather. Mm-hmm. Your husband talks to Robbie Knight's father, and his right. father just continues to say the kids were there all weekend, et cetera. And he also says that he didn't see Nico. Right. And what did did he, uh, any explanation for that? Did Nico drop None. Robbie off? No, nothing. None. Okay. And I mean, we're, I mean, as, as parents, we're shooting questions about, well, like, well, what did Robbie say? How did he get there? And the father told my husband that Robbie got there in a white Dodge is what he said. Well, that is not at all the description of the stolen truck. No, it's and not. it was a white Dodge is what was, what was told to us by Robbie's father. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, my husband gets off the phone that night. We were anticipating a call from Robbie once he gets back from the police station and it never happened. And the next day I'm talking to the New York state police and I find out that Robbie was taken from the interview to a mental hospital because he had some sort of breakdown. And, um, So at that point, we have no contact with Robbie. He's obviously in a mental hospital. The police can't talk to him because he's in a mental hospital. And we all just kind of have to wait and find out what's going to happen. So then um, it was, this was on a Wednesday. And then on the following Monday morning, I got a phone call from my brother-in-law, who was a school teacher. And it was, I don't know, 6.30, quarter of 7 in the morning. and he teaches at our local school here and he said, Monica, he said, you need to sit down. Are are you home alone? I said, no, Clint's here. And he said, well, um, I need to tell you something. I said, what's going on? What's up? And he said, Robbie Knight is dead. And I said, what do you mean Robbie Knight is dead? And he said, well, the grandparents have left to go to 
Michigan, apparently he died. So I get on the phone and I call New York State Police. I tell them what I just learned. And I had actually, let me back up a night, that Sunday night my sister called me and she said, Robbie Knight's out of the hospital. And I said, how do you know that? And she said, because he's on Facebook. Mm. And he was he was making comments on Facebook. And so I had called the investigator at home and said, Robbie Knight is out of the hospital. How come Michigan hasn't picked him back up yet? Blah, blah, blah. And she said, well, I'll have to, you know, deal with it in the morning. So the next morning I find out Robbie Knight is dead. I call again. I tell them Robbie's dead. Now New York State is going to inquire with Michigan to find out, you know, is this true? What happened? That type of thing. And then when it came back to us, it was that he had died of an overdose. A drug overdose, so now, whether it was, yeah. do you know if it was illegal drugs or any any ideas? I, I have no idea. No idea. And do you believe that uh, Robbie Knight uh, was a drug user while he lived with his grandparents in New York? I do. Okay. I, I'm, I'm guessing weed, but something more lethal, maybe heroin or opioids or um, something or crystal meth. What do you think? You no, know, the, the talk from the kids in school was they called them... Skittles, I believe it was the term, and they were um, kids in school at that time were popping um, corsetin tablets. Okay, I have no idea what that is. I'll have to look that up. Okay, so is something like too many? You take too much of it, you you could kill yourself. I don't know. I guess so. I guess so. Okay. But you believe uh, that it was some sort of drug overdose. You don't believe that Robbie Knight um was murdered or it was an accident you believe it was some type of overdose right okay um what was when robbie knight being that uh, somebody found out that he was on social media what was he posting that night before he died um the there was a post that said something about give me some lovey or I don't know exactly what it said but it was something to that effect i'm i'm in a low place or something Give mm -hmm. me some lovey or hit me up, that type of thing. Okay. Did and he say anything about Nico? Nothing. He didn't nothing. say, and he didn't say anything about stealing a truck. Didn't explain why he was in Michigan nothing. instead of New York. Nothing. Nothing. Okay. All right. And I'm I'm going to take for granted that in that same time that Nico's Facebook account or whatever was silent, nobody was on yeah. there. And my sister actually. Um, tried to access Nico's Facebook, um, I'm going to say, like that weekend or something, because Facebook to us at that time was brand new, and we're the adults, and we didn't even have it. Sure. So my sister tried to access his page because she had had like, exchanges with him on Facebook, and his Facebook account was gone. Huh, was gone wasn't just gone. silent, but was gone. It had been deleted. It was, yeah, it was, like, deactivated, turned off, whatever. And I don't, I mean, I don't know because I I never had, I didn't have a Facebook account at the time. Mm -hmm. So I never punched in Nico's name on Facebook to find it. So my sister's the one that had Facebook, and my sister was the one that was always on the computer. So she was, you know, giving me the information. Okay. Uh, let's just be clear about this. Robbie Knight uh, overdosed approximately, let's say, 
10 days after the stealing of the truck, so approximately October 10th, something like that, would you say? Yes, and I don't know the exact date of death, but... That's fine. That's fine. I just want to make sure I just want to make sure that the listeners understand the time frame of this. So in those days, um, the Michigan police had talked to him to this day. Do you have any idea what Robbie Knight told the Michigan police? I have no idea. Okay. do you think that the New York police have an idea of what Robbie told the Michigan police? Any inkling at all? And I would assume they do, but I do not know that for a fact. And we I just would hope that they do. Yeah, you would hope. Uh, but we maybe remind the listeners, Michigan police had gone over there because of the stolen truck. They found out Robbie Knight was there. They went and got him. And then sometime during that interrogation, Robbie had some sort of mental event, mental issue that they had to take into a facility. We don't know if it might have been cooked up. It might have been faked. It might have been real. We don't know. Right. We don't know. Okay. Next thing we're going to talk about is when did Franklin, Tennessee pop up onto your radar regarding Nico's disappearance? How did that happen? The day that I was in the police station making the IDs, the police officer there, we were talking about phone records, and I wanted to know how do we find phone records. And Nico's phone was registered on my mother's account. And so he was telling us, well, you can access that information. You can tell who he called, who the top 10 people were, blah, 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 blah. So he showed us how to do that. And we came home and got on the computer and started researching how all of these Verizon records and what's available. And you could see where his phone had traveled. And you could see that he had been calling a 615 area code. And so I ended up, a girlfriend of mine ended up getting into his Gmail account and printing me off his phone contact list. So I had every single person that was a contact in his phone. And so I go through the phone numbers and I'm trying to match up the 615 from the phone records to the contact list. Mm -hmm. And I find it. So and I what a date is, if you could give an approximate date for the listeners, if you could do that, approximately the date. Uh, my life was so upside down then. Was this before um, Robbie it, Knight committed suicide? No, it was after. It was after. After, okay. Um, but I had been calling all these Tennessee numbers and trying to figure out who was who. And eventually I I get a person that calls me back. And he tells me that Nico had been to his house. And I knew that Nico had been in touch with him because Nico had been calling the number over and over and over and over. And that number had also called him back. So he had incoming and outgoing calls on the Verizon account with this number in Tennessee. And so, and the police had all of this information. And And did you not tell me that in our prior conversation that this particular phone number was called 30 times in one day? 30 plus. And what day was that? That that was that like October first or September thirtieth, something like that. Between between September thirtieth and October first. Thir- th- like thirty times this number was called. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. So, um, the the young man calls me, and I was at my mom's house when he called, and I had actually called the number and left a message and told him who I was and that I I was looking for my son, and I 
knew that he had called there. Well, the boy called me back and said that Nico had been to his house. And, of course, I'm frantic. And I'm kind of yelling at this kid. And I'm saying, well, what did he want? And why was he there? What did he say? Where did he go? Mm-hmm. And the kid is like, I, I don't know. I don't know. He just, he came here. And I said, how did he get there? And he said, I picked him up. And I said, you picked him up from where? And he said, I picked him up about two blocks away from my house. And he came here and he spent the night. And the next day we went and played soccer. And then after we played soccer, we went back to my house and Nico just grabbed his stuff and left. And I'm like, well, what, what was this conversation? Like you haven't seen him in two years. Like what did he want? Mm-hmm. You know, he, he, the kid he hadn't seen him since he went to school there, you know? So I'm yeah. like, what is going on here? And I had never heard this kid's name before, but he was in Nico's contact list on his phone. So did your sister-in-law um, know, know this family? Yes. All yes. right. She had went there and she had met the family and she had allowed Nico to spend the night there. Okay. All right. So this kid actually called you back, says that he had seen Nico, but didn't see the gray truck, this gray pickup truck that was stolen. Right. Never right. saw it. And uh, did you ever have a chance to talk to the, this kid's uh, parents? Um, Not not then, but um, a couple months later, I did. Okay. And I actually went to their home. Okay. We'll, we'll get back to that in a second, but I, I do have to ask you this. At this point, are you uh, ready to reveal who these people are? It, I have just been advised not to release the names of the people involved at this point. Because okay. some of the people have been have been questioned by police. Some of the people have obtained attorneys. Um, and I just, I don't want to get into names right now. Okay. But it is on the record. And I think we can state this, that this is a house that is on Flint, Flintlock street in Franklin, Tennessee. That is on the record. Yes. Flintlock drive. Flintlock drive in Franklin, Tennessee. Once again, we're not releasing any secret because there have been a couple uh, stories that have been done on this disappearance uh, in the area, and there are cameras that have been on that street. But it's somebody on that street. But at this point, you know who they are, but that is a secret to you, and you're not going to say that name right now. Correct. Okay, fine. Um, but just for uh, to make this thing easier, because we're going to get into a little bit, can we at least say the the letter of this kid's first name? It's a fairly common letter. It's not. It's not like it's a Q. Excuse me? The letter E. E, like like Ed, my name. Okay. So this kid's first uh, name, the the listeners should know, I do not know these people either. She's not, uh, this is not something I'm withholding from the listeners. I do not know these people's names either. So um, this kid uh, was a friend of Nico's and his first name starts with an E. So we're just going to say E from now on. Um, Okay. So they live on that street, and the kid just says that, yeah, we played around, he was here, and then he just left. Yes. Okay. Did any um, did this kid say anything else about um, anybody else seeing him? I'm guessing if they played soccer, have you been able to track down anybody else who saw Nico that day? When I went to their home and I sat with his father, 
that was one of my questions. I wanted to know who played soccer. Um, I wanted names. I, I'm thinking if my son went to this place and played soccer with these people, then somebody is going to know and, and come forward that, and to say that they saw him there. But the father told me that it was just a, a friendly kind of a, a family pickup kind of game. And, and it was, everything was always moved on to another subject. It was like, I couldn't get a straight answer for the life of me. Because when I was there in their home, I, I mean, I was asking the father the same thing. I was going crazy. I'm like, what did he say? What did he do? You know, what? Mm-hmm. why was he here? Yeah. And, oh, Nico, you know, Nico, just show up. Nico laugh a lot. And I'm thinking when he said that to me, I thought, bull, bullshit. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know. I just, once I was there, I was very uneasy. And I left there and... My brother-in-law was, you know, told me, well, you know, they're nice people. And I said, no, they're not. And I said, there's something going on in that house. And I said, and I'm sitting here wondering if my kid isn't buried in their backyard right now. And it was just this terrible, awful feeling that I had when I was there. So what you're saying is both the kid, starting with the name E, and his parents were not willing to reveal anybody else who saw Nico while he was there. No. And I only spoke with with the boy and his father when I was at the house. And there were a numerous amount of people back in their kitchen area, but I did not meet any of them and did not talk to any of them. Hmm. Okay. All right. And once again, Nico never gave any explanation for just popping up in Franklin, Tennessee after a couple years being away. No. And they they couldn't tell me anything that my son said. And I asked if he had a bag with him or a backpack. And, well, he had a backpack. And I said, well, what did it look like? Well, I'm not sure. It was dark. And the boy also told me that Nico did laundry there and that he hung his laundry out. And I said, well, what clothes did he have with him? Well, I don't know. Answers like that, that's what I got. That's what I had to leave there with. All right. So you not only think that they're withholding information, but uh, do you believe that they're lying to you? Oh, absolutely. Okay. All right. So um, you were able to track down this one particular. This is just, once again, this is somebody that Nico called 30 times on the way from New York to Tennessee. Correct. And this kid never gave an explanation. I mean, 30 times seems obsessive. (laughs) I mean, I guess even 10 times would seem excessive. Mm -hmm. No, No explanation as to why it was 30 times. No explanation. Okay. All right. That's strange. But did you go to any of the other neighbors on that street and ask them if they saw Nico? I did not. Okay. Did the police do I that did, in Tennessee? However, I don't, I, I do not know. I don't believe that they did. Um, and again, when I was there, it was in March of 2012. So Nico had only been gone for a few months. Mm-hmm. And at that point, um, New York State is still believing Nico's on the run and, you know, he's hiding out, that type of thing. Yeah. So it was kind of like me and my feelings against the world, you know. Um, I visited police stations while I was there. I went to a police station in Franklin. I went to the police station in Brentwood. I went to the police station in Nashville. I spoke to many different police officers, many different investigators. Um, 
and everyone that I spoke with in the Tennessee area was more than helpful, wanted to help, um, give us what information you have and, you know, we'll keep our eyes out, that type of thing. And they were great in Tennessee to me. And again, you have to remember this was in March of 2012. Okay. So over six years ago and this disappearance happened at the beginning of October, 2011. Uh, do you know if any of the local police or maybe the Tennessee state police or even New York state police went and talked to those people on Flintlock Avenue in Tennessee? Yes. They did. Yes. And do yes, you know the results of any of those talks that they had with them? I know that they were ended because uh, attorneys were obtained. Okay. All right. Um, so we don't know if anybody else on the street saw Nico. We don't know. We're not sure if the cops ever questioned anybody else on the street. Um, anything at the time, uh, was anything of Nico's found anywhere there? We're, we won't, we'll get to the truck later, but at that point. Um, no, no, okay. there was never a search done or anything like that. And I certainly didn't get to go through their house, which I, I would have liked to. Of course. Uh, regarding the cell phone, one more thing. We had all these calls, and what was when was the last ping of uh, Nico's phone, and when who was the last person that he called before he disappeared? The last person that was called was my mother, and that would have been um, I can't remember the exact. I think it was um, Franklin time would have been four oh eight, and New York time it was five oh eight. So. The phone call that my mom my mom had called him, and he had answered that phone, and that was that phone call, and that was the last ping that they had um, in the Flintlock Drive area. All right. So what you're saying is that day, that that Saturday, that you were trying to call him, and he wasn't picking up. But finally, your mother, his grandmother, called him and he picked up. He was actually on right. Flintlock Avenue at that point that he picked That's up. That's what is. That is what the police believe. Okay. And he never used the phone after that? No. To your knowledge. I mean, of course, you have his records. That's how you were able to find all these numbers. The right. last phone call, he never used his phone one way or the other after that. Nobody called him. He didn't call anybody. Oh, people called him all the time. People, okay. People... No one, it was never registered. I mean, I, I mean, I had access to his voicemail and everything. So people were burning up the phone. There was right. just no activity coming out of the phone. Okay. So you were in that house on Flintlock Street, and that was the last time that in that area is when his phone was last used by him. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Um, do you, uh, now this is going to be, uh, once again, I know listeners aren't a little confused already. It's very complex. Being that Robbie was not seen in Tennessee, but you have a suspicion that possibly they didn't go from New York to Michigan to Tennessee, is it possible that they went from New York to Tennessee to Michigan? Is that possible? What do you think? I think. Or maybe they, they went directly from New York. New York. Okay. Please. I, no, I believe they left New York, and I believe that they went to Romulus, Michigan. And. At, at this point today, all these years later, with the information that I that I know, um, my suspicion is that they went to Michigan not to drop Robbie off, but to possibly pick up Robbie's brother. And I believe that, that either one or the other or both, perhaps, of those boys, someone was with my son 
when he was in Tennessee. I truly believe that. Even though those people on Flintlock Street say otherwise. And I know you don't believe them other way, but they have they have never said that they saw anybody with Nico. They they have they have never said that anyone was with Nico. Okay. And in fact you told me that the reason you think that the the father was saying the boys were here all weekend is because they really weren't there all weekend. In fact I, the boys exactly. might have been in Tennessee. Exactly. Get calling back what you said about twenty minutes ago about that. Exactly. Okay. And we're talking about Robbie's father making that statement to my husband. Right. And what is Robbie's brother's name? Christopher. All right. So possibly Nico and Robbie get together. Gather. They drive to Romulus, Michigan. Um, you know, I was searching a map. Do you think they would have? They couldn't have gone through Canada to do that because they would have needed passports to get into Canada. They went down Correct. through Pennsylvania, over across Ohio, up into Michigan, and then went south to Tennessee. That's probably yes. what they did. Okay. And that's what the phone that's what the phone activity indicates. Okay. You can follow a map on on Verizon. There's a map that will show you where a phone travels. Right. And okay. where it so we we knew that he had went to Michigan. And I do not believe that it was to drop Robbie Knight off. I believe that it was to possibly pick up his brother. Okay. That's interesting. Okay. Let's just talk about the police a little bit um, because we've gone – I mean, you're in three different dris- jurisdictions here, which, I mean, the listeners know dealing with police with just one jurisdiction and getting them interested in missing persons cases is difficult. You've been dealing with uh, three different jurisdictions, state police and probably local police, um, mm-hmm. you know, for, you know, for you know, six and a half years now, uh, at least six and a half years. Um did New York police end up going to Tennessee, and have they personally – I might have already asked you this, but I just want to go through this little checklist. Have they gone and talked to the people on Flintlock Avenue, the New York State Police? Yes, they did. Okay. And you have no in idea what – In 2016. Wow. Okay. Five years later then. Mm-hmm. Okay. And do you know about anything that was obtained – from that, you said that the, these people have wired up, correct? Yes. Okay. Um, Michigan police, they talked to Robbie. We already know what was said there. or We don't know what was said, but we know what happened. He, he had a mental event there. Uh, you have no mm-hmm. idea what was said. Uh, have the Michigan police ever said anything to you about possibly Christopher maybe going to Tennessee as well? No, I've never spoke with any law enforcement from Michigan. Okay. And then Tennessee, um, you said that they've been helpful. Have they also taught, they also talked to the people on Flintlock Avenue? Yes. All right. So New York has been at them. Tennessee has been at them. Is that the Tennessee state police or would that be like Franklin or maybe County? That would be the Franklin. Franklin local police. Okay. And of course, like you said, the, the, the phone has been pinged. We know that the last time that it was actually used, was somewhere in the area of Flintlock Avenue. Uh, the grandmother was drive. the last drive. Flintlock, Flint- drive. Flintlock I keep, drive. I'm going to get these right one That's sooner okay. or later. <laughs> I'm going to get these sooner or later. I don't even know what the difference is between a street avenue. Too many English words to just say road. Um, okay, Flintlock <laughs> Drive. Flintlock mm-hmm. Drive, and people people want to go there. They can find it. Uh, they can Google Map it. They're going to find it. However, um, once again, you know what the, the, which house it is, but 
none of us know what house it is. And then the phone, I guess, was either shut off or the battery died. It's some, uh, something like that. But I'm going to ask you this because this is going to lead us uh, in another direction. Did his phone at any time ever ping in the Nashville, Tennessee area? Yes, it did. It did. Before he went to Flintlock? Before oh, or after boy, Franklin, can't. Tennessee? Well, the last ping that the the police reported on was Flintlock, so I'm going to have to say that it was um, it was before. So it had to be during that day at some point. Okay, so we are to believe during the it... day of the first. Okay. So, but when you go when you go to Franklin, um, when I when I drive down there, I go through the Nashville area before I hit Franklin. So that that would answer that question. All right, so Nashville is before you get to Franklin? Yes. Okay. Now, uh, we have to uh, – we're going to reveal something, and I think this might have been a mistake, but we're going to talk about mm-hmm. it. Um, now, when you were in a meeting with the New York State Police, you're going to have to remind me when this was, but they revealed something um, without maybe realizing that you didn't know it. Can you talk about that? Well, I it was uh, a meeting that different police agencies were having, and I was present. And I learned in that meeting the the location of where the truck was found. Um, now, when the truck was found in 2016, it was just released that it was in the Middle Tennessee area home. And so that's what I knew. It was middle Tennessee and no one would ever give me, uh, a, an address or, you know, I'm just assuming that it might be found in Franklin. I mean, nobody knows for right. sure because nobody would say. Right. And so last, last year I was in a meeting and there's a bunch of police around talking and I happened to learn, and I'm going to tell you, and tell the viewers so that people know the truck was found in Nashville. The truck was not found on Flintlock Drive. Huh. And this is interesting because I, if any listeners before this episode came out, maybe they found some video from you know them covering it. All of those local police local stations got the story wrong, didn't they? Yes. They say that a truck the truck was found on Flintlock Drive, and it wasn't. Yes. It was actually found no. in a house. In Nashville, correct. Okay, and you have, and so what you're saying is you didn't even know that the truck was found when you were when you were with the I New York that, State. No, I knew the truck was found in 2016. It was okay. found actually. It'll be two years tomorrow. Oh, oh. it was found on July 21st of oh. 2016. Okay. Okay, but then when and you were with them is when you New found York. it. Yeah, please. I was in New York. I was in New York when it was found. The police contacted me here and told me that they had located the truck. And so then last year in 2017, there was a meeting with police, and I just happened to overhear people talking, and I learned the address of where the truck was found, which was Nashville, not Franklin. You did, did you? I have to admit, did you keep your poker face and not reveal that you didn't know that, or did you ask them more I questions, think, or what did you do? 
I stayed very calm and I, it was just, it was a shock, uh-huh. but I was, you know, I, I've always, I wanted to know and I could never figure out why they didn't want me to know, but so now I know. Okay. And I have to ask this because I'm a reporter. Uh, do you know, you know, the address of this place where it was found? Are you, are you ready at this time on Unfound to reveal the address of where the truck was found? I am not going to reveal the address of where the truck was found, but I will tell you that the 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 location that the truck was found in Nashville, the property there is owned by another family that lives in Franklin, Tennessee. Okay, and will and you? It is not. It is. It does not belong to the family that lives on Flintlock Drive. Huh. It belongs to a whole entire different family. And do you believe that these two families know each other? Uh, I don't know about the families, but I know that the kids did. All right, so E, uh, the yeah. guy that – the kid that we will just use his first initial E that we know lives on Flintlock Drive, um, and you gave me the letter before. Once again, uh, for the listeners, I don't know this information, all right? Uh, but you gave me the letter initial for the other kid who knew E whose family owns the property in Nashville. The letter E does not own the property right, in right. Nashville. Right. Some, somebody right. else does. Right. The letter J. Letter J so is... The letter J, his parents own the property in Nashville. Okay. And to your knowledge, did Nico, when he was in Tennessee for those months, know J? Um, I I do know that he did know him, yes. All right. And do you, and once again, do but J and E know each other? Yes, they do. And J and E know each other. Okay, thank you. Yes. All right, so there is some type of connection there. And once again, when you went down and talked to these people, they never said anything about a truck. They never said anything about Nashville, nothing. No. And moreover, their son uh, never said anything about knowing somebody who owns property in Nashville or saw the truck or no. anything like that. Yeah. No. Yeah. Now we now maybe the listeners can see why Monica highly doubts the, the story of these people from Flintlock Drive. Okay. Um, let's talk about that truck. It was found in 2016. Tell the listeners what you can or willing to say about it. The really basically the only things that I know is that New York State Police went to town. They held a press conference. The next day, they got a tip. And they went to a location, the truck was found, um, but the truck was totally torn apart. There was just uh, the bed and the the front cab left of the truck. Mm -hmm. There were no lights, no wires, no steering wheels, no knobs, no doors, no tires, no no engine, no nothing left to the truck. I've seen the pictures and I will be posting the pictures. In fact, by the time... This episode uh, is out. I'm sure the listeners will have seen some pictures. It really looks like how you would see parts of a vehicle where the car actually, the truck actually got made, you know, waiting yeah. to be assembled. That's kind of what it looks like. Yes. Okay. And it was locked. Was it in a garage? Was it in a shed? Where was it? It was in a, a garage slash uh, shed. I mean, it was a, it wasn't like a two car garage with um lifting doors the doors were padlocked 
on this place, and they were opened like like a door. Okay. And was there a house on that property where somebody was living in it, the house? Um, I believe that there were people that were living in the house when the police arrived there, yes. Okay, and these people... I'm, I'm guessing they've been asked. I mean, I guess it was Jay's parents renting this property out. Is that what was going on? Jay's parents owned the property, and I believe it could have possibly been another family member that lived there when the New York State Police showed up there. I'm not 100% certain on that. I do know that um, it was a family member that was at the property that let the New York State Police gain access to the garage. Okay. All right. So they're living in this house. There's this parted out truck in the back, and it seems that nobody's really curious about it at all. Uh, well, Jay lived in that house. The boy with the letter J lived in that house back in 2011, 2012. And um, unfortunately, I, I did speak to Jay. And I spoke to his father, mm -hmm. and I asked if they knew Nico, did they know that he was missing? I'm his mom. I'm in New York. We haven't seen him. I talked to those people in December of 2011. I spoke with that young man and his dad, and they said, oh, no, we haven't seen him, and oh, geez, that's too bad, blah, 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 blah. And then in 2016, the truck is found on a property that those people owned in Nashville, and their son occupied the house. Oh my god. That gosh. was with that garage. Oh my god. Now then we find out after I do some research and I'm given a little bit of information, um the young man, letter J, he died in December of two thousand fourteen. Um Ow. so now letter Ow. J, um to my knowledge it was an overdose. So he overdosed. So we got Robbie Knight who overdosed, and now we have this kid who overdosed. Yes. yes. And so Letter J is not around to talk to. Christopher, or I'm sorry, Robbie is not around to talk to. So. And, and these you know, other people have lawyered up. And the other people aren't talking. And so my question was, you know, are Jay's parents being talked to? Now, I don't know. I still do not know if New York State ever talked to them, if Franklin talked to them, if Nashville talked to them. I don't know if those people have been talked to or not. But what I do know is that I talked to that father, and that father knew that I was looking for my son. And that family, to this day, has never reached out to me to give me any explanation as to why that truck was there or to tell me they didn't know it was there or to tell me they were sorry. They've never reached out to me to say a word. And I am the one that called them in December of 2011 asking them if they knew anything about my son being missing. And that truck was sitting in their garage and their son was tearing it apart. If I may ask, uh, what led you to call them in particular in December of 2011? Because I received, I received a... Facebook message from a girl that went to school there. And this was a girl that I had, I didn't know of her. Um, I had never met her. 
I get this random message one day from this girl, and she said, you should contact so-and-so. They're very nice people. Um, if they know anything about Nico, I'm sure that they would be willing to give you any information that they have. And she gave me their phone number. And wow, that's how I contacted them. What a tip. And Yeah, no kidding. And so then after all those years and they find the truck, I contact this girl again. And I said, you know, was there anything that happened back in 2011 that made you think that they knew something or whatever because, you know, the truck was found on their property mm-hmm. and she deleted me from Facebook. <gasps> And she wouldn't say any more to me. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So that's that's crazy. And people, people, I have, I have been talked about and ridiculed on social media about, well, the family gets very defensive and the mother gets very upset and she's mean. And yeah, I am. I am bitter. I am mad. And I just think. I'm not the only adult in this whole situation that if someone would have noticed something was wrong and someone would have made a phone call or someone did something different, maybe none of us would be in these situations that we're in. Maybe Robbie Knight's family wouldn't have lost him. Maybe I would know where my son was. Maybe Jay's parents would still have their son, but nobody wanted to do the right thing because everybody was too worried about protecting themselves. And, you know, let's not make our family look bad. Well, I've been ridiculed for seven years and I'm not the only parent in this. There are parents that were aware of what was going on and those people chose to keep their mouth shut to protect their own asses. Right. And so So let me, let me just put this, I, 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 you have every right to be, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. I just want to put this together. This is what's interesting to me. You talk to Jay and his father in December 2011, then all those years later, during that talk with the New York State Police, it turns up that they mentioned Nashville, and then you hear this name all over again. Maybe a name mm-hmm. that you maybe a name that you had even forgotten about. You thought that they were helpful, Dackle, and then it all comes comes back to you five years later to find out, man, just a few months after. Uh, Nico disappeared. I might have been talking to the people who exact knew exactly what happened. Exactly. Correct. I can't. Ima- I can't imagine. I would. I have to admit, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall when that happened for you, and you had that. Well, now you if you must my, have been incredulous. Well, I am just. I'm just the type of person that, like, I look at this whole situation, and I am the one that picked up the, the phone and I called the police, and. I'm telling them I think my son is involved in this. Mm-hmm. I'm telling on my son, okay? Yeah. yeah. And then I have these other people that are involved, and I'm just the type of parent, if my kid showed up here with a vehicle and puts it in my garage, I don't care what kind of story he's going to cook up. I'm going to get to the bottom of it. This is not going to happen, not, in my, not on my property, you're not doing this, unless I know all the specifics. And I'm the one to blow the whistle on my own kid. And these people knew that this stuff was going on. They knew. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. They knew. Of course they knew. Absolutely. And it's just, it's just unbelievable. I just can't, I, I can't 
believe that a responsible adult would not do the right thing and make a phone call. You know, a phone call could have saved many lives. Sure. You're right. You're absolutely right. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, let's, let's, uh, let's talk about this now. So we have, uh, J, the letter J, not Mm J-A-Y, but a kid whose name begins with J. Um, Mm -hmm. he's dead of an overdose sometime in 2014. I think you said late 2014. Yeah. You have Robbie Knight, who is now dead. And am I to understand that Robbie Knight's brother is now deceased? Is that true? He is. He is. And this was recently. And, yes, this was very recent. And um, I'll go back even further. It was about approximately six months after Robbie Knight died, his father died. Oh um, so Robbie died, his father died. And to me, not knowing where my son is or what has happened to him and all of these rumors and all the speculation, it's like, Oh my gosh, you know, so now another person is dead. You know, you can't talk to him anymore. And I don't believe that any police ever spoke with Robbie Knight's father. I I don't believe that that ever happened. I don't know that for a fact, but I do not believe that they did. So now, you know, New York state police never contacted Robbie. They never talked to him. They never talked to his father. Now they're both dead. Um, the the boy in Tennessee, yeah. letter J, is yeah. dead. Now Christopher Knight, Robbie's brother, is also deceased. And back in November of 2015, three New York State investigators went out to Michigan to talk to that boy. And again, this is 2015. Mm-hmm. Um, three investigators go to Michigan. They question him, and he was in Carson City Prison at that time. And they went there, and they interviewed him. And I was told by New York State Police that that boy had been given two polygraph tests while the New York State Police were out there and that that boy failed two polygraph tests. Now, was I there? I was not. I just know that an investigator told me that that had happened, and I was always kind of like, well, what do you mean? Like, why aren't you going back, and why can't something be done? And blah, 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 blah. But New York State had X amount of time to go out there and try to extract information from this kid. They did what they could. They came back home, and there was really nothing else that they could do. You know, um, I had an investigator tell me, you know, this kid could manipulate a a polygraph, you know, different people do polygraphs differently. You know, maybe it would have been a different result had someone else run the polygraph. I mean, and I don't know anything about that stuff. So I just have to go with whatever the investigators tell me. Um, but you know, I just felt like, Oh my God, now, now we have another dead person that was involved here, you know, um, or at least had knowledge of something that that had happened. And while the New York State investigators were out there, one of those investigators told me that Robbie Knight's brother, Christopher, admitted to shutting down my son's Facebook in their basement at their parents' home in Romulus, Michigan. Wow. Now, 
I am not an investigator. I am not a police officer. I am not a computer person. But I always said from the very beginning of this whole thing, like, what about an IP address? Can't you get an IP address of where something, you know, is shut down? You know, who who did it? You know, and I learned that from watching crime TV. But, you know, everyday circumstances that happen in people's lives don't happen like they do on crime TV. That's true. So, you know, I just had to sit and I had to wait and I had to, you know, just take the information and swallow it and wake up the next morning and put my pants on and go back to work and try to get through another day, you know, and I've, and I've done it and done it and done it and done it. So I just, and it's, it's the police that I have to rely on to give me information. And in all honesty, I'm probably going to jump ahead a little bit here for you, but at this point, I'm not worried about people being arrested or going to jail or anything like that, because I believe that someone did something to my son and I believe that my son is dead. And the only thing that I want to know is where he is. That's all I want to know. And my story will be over for me. That's what I want. I've had a lot of guests tell me the exact same thing, both on the air and off the air, Monica. That's a very common feeling. Perfectly natural. Perfectly natural. Get it. There's there's a lot of people out there though that that can keep themselves together and have a whole lot more poise than I do. I am I'm very loud. I'm vocal. I I can't help it. I am just. This is something I am never going to let go. As long as there is air in my lungs, I am going to keep looking for my son because somebody out there knows where he is, and someday. Somebody is going to do the right thing, and they're going to send an anonymous letter. They're going to make an anonymous phone call to the police, to me. I don't care which. I just want to know where he is. You have actually... Someone does the right thing. Yeah. Now, maybe even the more complex part about, about this is that did you actually get a threat regarding your, your son's disappearance? I didn't get a threat regarding his disappearance. Um, I'm not going to put it like that. Um, There was a period of time that I had taken my husband's phone and I had texted a number and um, I'm pretending that uh, that I'm somebody else. And I said, hey, um, tell Deuce to give me a call on this line. It's a clean line. Now, you got to remember, I am a desperate parent. Mm-hmm. I am doing anything I can to try to make contact with my son that supposedly is running from the law. So I, I texted us, hey, tell Deuce to, to give me a call on this line. It's a clean line. A few minutes later, the phone rings, and my husband answers the phone, and he gets up, and he walks out, and I hear him yelling, and my husband is so quiet and so reserved, and thinks everything through before he speaks and he's just a kind soul and he's yelling and I'm like, what is going on? So I follow him out and he's swearing and I mean, just enraged and he gets off the phone and I said, what was that all about? And he said, 
some guy telling me that he's watching our effing family and he's effing going to kill all of us. And the phone rings again. And I'm like in shock, like, what? And it's the same number that I have just texted. Mm-hmm. So, Do you know who has this text number? At the time, yes, I did. Who was and it? So, who was it? So, again, I, I'm not going to, I can't give the name. I'm not going to release that name. Was so it anyway, somebody, was it, I'll just ask you this. I have to ask this. I'm, I apologize, Monica, but I have to do my. It was a 615 area code. All right. It was was it anybody connected code. to E's family or J's family? Um, there is a strong, strong possibility of that. Yes. Okay. I, I, so, I have to do. I, I have to do my job. I apologize. I know that's a difficult question, but I have to. I'm, I'm, but I have, I have to. Ask that. But let me let me throw this out there. That has that has gotten lost by the wayside. I mean, that is not anything of importance to police, really. It never has been. Um, so let me go back to this, to that night that it happened. Okay. Um, the phone rings again, and my husband puts it on speakerphone, and I can hear this man, and he is Hispanic. You can tell by his the way he speaks. Mm-hmm. And he says the same exact thing again, that he is watching our effing family and that he will effing kill all of us and hangs up. And I am just beside myself. And I called 911 and I reported it. And they said that they would have a trooper call me and a trooper did call me. And this was on a Friday night. And I, and I am so, I have so much stuff. I've got just logs and, and boxes of paperwork and whatnot. I honestly can't remember if it was in the summer of 2012 or the summer of 2013 that this happened. I just know that it was in the summer and it was a Friday night and I called 911. They had a trooper call me back and I told him what had happened. And he said, now, Mrs. Button, do you really think that there's a Hispanic man in your in your hedgerow? And I said, how the hell do I know? I said, I don't know who my son is hooked up with. I don't know where my son is. My son has been missing since 2011, and I don't know. I said, but I would like someone to come up here. And so this, again, was a Friday. At 8 p.m. the following Monday, a New York State trooper showed up at my house to take a report on it because I insisted that someone come up here. And... You know, when I did you give back, the, did, did at the time that that happened, did you know who this phone number was to? Um, yes. yes All right. Did. Did, and did you give that name to the state police in New York? Yes. And yes. Do, do you have any idea if they ever looked into it? I have no idea. Wow. Okay. But I do know that there was a trooper sitting in my driveway and typing out a report about it when it happened three days later. But it did, and I because I insisted. I said I want this written down. I want this on record somewhere. Yeah, that was that was the right thing to do. Have you had any kind of things like that happen since uh, whenever it was, 2012, 2013, anything like that? No. Okay. Um, I did, um, however, when I was in Tennessee in September of 2017, um, I was putting up flyers in Franklin at a Publix um, grocery store. And uh, I'm putting flyers on like all of these like light poles. And when you pull into this Publix, it's like a a major road. It's like a 
it's not just a pulling to a, a grocery store. It's a road that goes out around. It's kind of like a big complex. There's other stores. There's a UPS store, a copy store, things like that next to this Publix. And down down the main the main part of this road, there's trees out there. And I had put Nico's poster on all of the trees on the very front part of, of the driveway. And I got to the very first tree in the parking lot. That was So that was my last poster. And I walked diagonally back to the back of the parking lot where I was parked, got in the car, drove around to the front of the, of the, the, the complex, and every single poster that I had put up was ripped down. And I went back oh, how much store. of a time span would, you, would that have passed? How much time? Do you Five think? minutes. Five minutes, if that. Did you see anybody walking around or somebody? Like I knew when I was in the parking lot, I felt that there were some individuals there that were watching me and I purposely avoided them. And, and I thought being stupid, they're, they're not watching you. You're just being foolish. And so I continued to put up posters, but I avoided the very middle of that parking lot. And I just proceeded to go ahead and put up the rest of my posters. And I didn't look back in that direction. I didn't want to know if those people were still there, if they were still looking at me or not. I just went, I got in the car, my daughter and and my, my girlfriend were with me and they were also in the back part of the parking lot, putting up posters. And when we pulled around to the front there, they were all gone. And I was, I was irate. And I went to, went back to Publix and I asked to speak with a manager. I told the manager what I was doing there. Um, I had the, the, property owners, um, permission to put posters up there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I asked the manager, I said, is there any way that you have cart people or outdoors groundsmen or anything that would have taken the posters down? And so they called their employees over and they talked to different employees and we had employees that actually went out into the parking lot and looked into garbage cans with us. And no one that was at Publix came forward and said, yes, I ripped those posters down. It was kind of like, no, not any of our employees did it. And some of them were out there helping us look in garbage cans for remnants of these posters. And they were completely gone. So I um, went to the police station and I reported it. And I talked to a couple of different um, police officers there. And they had called um, a detective in Franklin that was working with New York State Police and told him what had happened. And I said, you know, the people at Publix told me if you give me a paper with a case number on it that I can go back there and they'll give me the video of the parking lot. And he said, no, let me do that. So a few days later, um, I got a, an email from the detective there and a couple of still shots of the parking lot. And he wanted me to draw a map of where we were and where the people that I thought were looking at me and watching mm-hmm. me where they were. And I said, you know, you really need to go across the street because there was a bank across across that street. And I said, that bank has got footage and you'll be able to see me on that footage because I was way far away from the actual public's building. I was out at the very beginning of their parking lot, not up close to the building. So their their images were grainy and couldn't really make me out or whatever. And I said, you need to go across the street to the bank because they will have footage of me in that parking lot. And to this day, I still have no idea whatever happened with that. So you think that somebody was hanging out in the parking lot, 
saw you do that and went over and ripped them all down and the video was shot. I know that somebody somebody did not want my son's missing poster up in that town. I know that because someone ripped them down as I was in that parking lot. They were they went they had to have been going right behind me and ripping them down. And they weren't just they weren't just hung up with a tack or a piece of tape. I had packing tape and I was wrapping packing tape around these trees. And you could see on the trees, when you go back to the tree, you could see that somebody had taken a knife and slipped that tape and pulled the whole, the tape and the poster off all in one piece. And you could see the knife marks on the trees and on on the light poles where it had scratched the paint. And to this what day, the, can you can you reveal which public this? Can you reveal uh, which public this was in Franklin, Tennessee? Which one? In Fieldstone Farms. Okay. All right. How close is that to, for example, Flintlock Drive? Um, within two miles. Okay. All right. And I'm guessing because the. I don't know that area like the back of my hand. I'm guessing. I'm going to say less than 10 minutes. Okay. We'll check it out. I'm sure somebody's going to Google the maps it, and I map it, and I'm sure I will too um, okay. after this uh, conversation. All right. But they're so. close. They're close together. Okay. It all, this all, um, Monica, comes back to one thing. Um, what do you think was going on with Nico? Robbie, and if we're to believe his brother, what was the motivation for him going to Tennessee in the first place? I, I mean, you've had a lot of time to think about this, and we can talk about these people, and some of them look very suspicious, but it was seemingly Nico on his own free will that went there, and maybe something went wrong. What do you think was going on? I don't know if he did something to somebody when he lived down there when he went to school. To my knowledge, after he came back here, he never had contact with anyone in Tennessee. So I, I don't know what the connection to E was. I don't know why he contacted him. And, mm-hmm. and I mean, obviously he's in a stolen truck. So okay, now I, I'm, I've got the stolen truck, and I'm thinking to myself, never have I had anyone come to my face and look at me and say, I did drugs with your son. Your son was a druggie. Mm-hmm. I've never had, I've never had anyone say that. I have had people say, I don't believe that Nico would be into that. Nico liked his body too much. Nico liked to work out. Nico liked to be healthy. Um, then I have, you know, these suspicions that if Nico was in his right mind, I can't see him being involved in stealing anything from anybody. He just, he wasn't, he wasn't that way, and. So he had to be altered somehow. Something happened. And I don't know if he was doing drugs when he left here. I'm going to assume that probably something along those lines was going on because of Robbie Knight's history yeah. and what I know about him. Um, I, I don't know. But, I mean, there were some pretty strong accusations made as far as the drug world with Nico. And, I mean... It it was deep and it was awful to have, you know, people say that on social media and I have to read it and, you know, the rotten things that people will say, but I have to consider it, you know, because I don't know. I don't know the facts. So 
I don't know if there was a drug deal gone bad. I don't know if Nico did something to these people in Tennessee and pissed them off and then thought, well, I can seek refuge with them because they're my friends. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what was going on. No idea. No idea. I have no clue. And you have, of course, your sister-in-law. Uh, still lives mm-hmm. down there. That's who Nico lived with for down. Any insight? Does she have any insight at all? If she ever heard anything, let's just say on the street about anything. Nothing. Nothing. Not one word. Not one word. Did she know E's family and Jay's family? Does she know them just from living there or not? Yes. 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 But yeah. they aren't. They don't. They aren't in the same social circles. Okay. But yes, she does know who they are. Okay. Okay. We just don't know. But you have a, a strong belief that it was Robbie and Nico, and they went to Michigan and got Christopher, and they went down to Franklin, Tennessee for some reason. For some and reason. again, that is my own, yeah, I know. my own theory. I know. No one has ever told me that that happened. That is, that is all the years, information, things that have happened. And that's what I believe as Nico's mother. And if I'm wrong, I will say that I'm wrong. I know you. I know. I'm sure you will. Uh, but then we have to start thinking. Well, being that we know the truck ended up in Tennessee, Robbie and Christopher couldn't have driven the truck probably back to Michigan. So somehow they got back to Michigan somehow. Mm-hmm. If something, and I looks, believe. Yeah. I believe that's car trouble. That's where car trouble and the father. And I don't know. Did their father? You know, did their father come to Tennessee and pick them up, or did they hop a bus and did he pick them up somewhere once they got back towards Michigan? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know what happened. All I know is that family has never come forth with anything that was of help. All right. Uh, it's, uh, it's one of the most complex uh, disappearances, I think, that we've covered on Unfound, uh, and there's still a lot of things uh, that uh, are unknown, even six and a half years later, almost seven years later. Well, the one thing I appreciate about appreciate about you, Ed, is the fact that you reached out to me, being that I'm Nico's mom, and I I have all of these other people doing, you know, their theories or podcasts, and they tell know, their, right? you know, their theories and whatever. No one has ever contacted us you know talk to me and people will say well the mom would cover it up let me tell you what i would give anything i would give anything to be able to go visit my son in jail you know if that's where my son would belong then he should be there if he's breaking the law then then find him do your job as a cop protect your citizens go out and find the criminal and put him in jail because i would love to be able to sit in a jailhouse and be able to visit my son on a Saturday afternoon. I don't have a problem with that. You know, um, I, I just want someone to come forward. That's it. I want someone to tell us what, what we need to know. And if Christopher Knight and Robbie Knight didn't go to Tennessee with him. Okay. I I would apologize for saying that, or, or at least put out there that I'm wrong. You know, I'm just telling how I see it. I'm telling how, I've been approached and not approached by people, people that want to help, people that don't want to help, and mostly it's people that don't want to help. And it's it's just frustrating as a parent. He's still my child, you know, and I told you when we talked before, you know, Hitler wasn't the greatest guy out there, and a lot of people hated him, and he did a lot of bad, bad things, but he had a mother, 
And I don't think that his mother raised him to be the type of person that he was. John Wayne Gacy had a mother. I don't think she taught him how to kill people and hide them under his, under his house, you know. No. But I am Nico's mom. And the only thing that, that I ask for is, you know what, if you don't have anything nice to say, then don't say anything because you don't live in my, in my shoes. You don't know how torturous and how horrible this is for me. And even all these years later, it, it's a nightmare. Yes. Yes. It's, uh, as some other guests of mine have said, it's a club that nobody wants to be a part of. And that is so true. And, it, and you want to know what's funny is when I met people that were going through the same thing that I am, it was almost comforting. And that is like the weirdest thing in the world to me, how we can all feel comfortable in our own skin around each other because we're going through one of the most horrific things a parent could ever go through. But yet we're all like best friends and we feel good around each other. And the reason why is because there's been 10 other mothers out there that have their sons are missing too. And they have had people talk about them and their families just like I have. Yep. And it's horrible. Sure. It is horrible. It is horrible. And so it's like we all find comfort in each other because we know what what the next guy is going through. You know what I mean? It's I, so weird. I do. I I do know what you mean. I I know enough. Uh, I know. I would say most of my guests very well. I've gotten to know most of them very well since they've been on the program, and so I know exactly. What, I don't know how you feel because I've not lost anybody due to disappearance in my family, but I I know what you're saying. Right. As I've had many people tell me this before. Sure. Sure. And isn't isn't it weird that we all just have it's like you, you can listen to story after story and they're different in so many ways, but what what we're going through as parents is exactly the same. You know what I mean? Yes. Some and are quieter about it and some are loud like me. But it's we all have this uh, this connection of love and understanding for each other. You know what I mean? I don't know. Yeah, it's just bizarre. I do. I do. It's, it's bizarre. And it, it could be like people who lost people on like 9-11 or something, you know, people who right. were, you know, who were in the World Trade Centers and they lost sons and daughters and those families come together afterwards. Same kind right. of thing. Yes. Right. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. It's the same thing. Uh, you had mentioned that you have a Facebook page for Nico and maybe you should mention that again and anything else. Uh, that you think my listeners need to know about uh, what you've been doing, uh, any place that they go on the internet to find out more about um, his disappearance and about Nico himself? Well, I do have the Facebook page, and that is called Search for Nico Lisi. Um, as far as, I mean, people will Google his name and you come up with articles and Again, you can read opinions and theories and things like that from other people. And I guess we all do that to a degree. And yeah. we all have questions and that we want to ask. And if you want to contact me through Messenger, yep. go ahead. And I'll tell you what I know. I There are certain things that I've been asked by the police not to release. And, you know, until, until I can do that, I, I just, I can't what I've always said is that I have to do what they ask me to do because they are ultimately my lifeline. You know, they're, they're like an IV that drips into me and I just wait not to hear from Nico anymore, but to hear from them. 
because they're the ones that ultimately are, you know, doing the investigation. And so I, the police are my lifeline and I can't upset or piss off or whatever way you want to put it, the police, because they are my lifeline at this point. I understand. Okay. I, I, so, I, I get but, you. You know, I got like you. And I it said, seems like, anyone... and I have to tell you, it seems like they're still doing some work. I mean, being that they ended up finding that truck five years after, I mean, you know, obviously right. somewhere, somehow they got a tip on that and figured it out. So they're, right. it's on their and mind. I, I would like, and I, and I'll put it right out there on your show. I would like to thank whoever that person was because they did not release that information to me. So I don't know who gave the tip, but mm-hmm. I, I, am indebted to you forever because you did the right thing. Yes. Right. Just wondering. Now we're just going to have to figure out how did that person know that in the first place? We have to think about that. I'm going to, I know my listeners are going to be thinking about that and I know I'm going to be thinking about that as well. Okay. I think about it too. I'm sure you do. Uh, Monica, any last words before we uh, finish this interview? No, I'd just like to say thank you so much for actually reaching out to a family member because that is, I think, the way that, that it should be for anybody that's that's doing anything like you are. You know, if, you know, you're, you're talking to the police, they can tell you something, but, you know, why not talk to the family? Mm-hmm. Talk, to, talk to them and see what they're going through, you know, um, because it affects everyone. Nico's life affected all of us. Anybody that knew him? I'm sorry. It's okay. And, I, you know, we love him. We miss him, and we are never going to stop looking for him. And if the shoe were on the other foot and something ever happened to one of his family members and he was here, he would do the same thing. He would never give up on us, and we aren't going to give up looking for him. Uh, Monica, that's how we do it on the show. Uh, I try to, um, myself, Emily, uh, my assistant and other people, this is what we try to do. We try to bring you people on on the program because you deserve to be heard. You're right. There are too many programs out there that cover disappearances and murders and unsolved murders and things, and they never contact people like yourself, the people who have been damaged the most. Okay? And I believe in giving those people a voice. I'm a reporter. But also, I'm just a facilitator. You know, we talked. I want to give you an opportunity to speak. And, and, you know, and now you've had it. And this interview is like almost two and a half hours long. You know, I right. think that's important. I think that's absolutely the most important thing about all these cases, giving the people who have experienced it the chance to talk and tell their sty- side in the words that they want to use themselves. Well, I thank you. I thank you very much, and I appreciate that. You're welcome, and I appreciate you joining me on this episode of Unfound. All right. Thank you so much. You're welcome. And that was my interview with Monica Button, mother of Nico Lisi. I thank her for joining me and all of you on this episode. Before I get into my short summation, I want you to know I understand why Monica is hesitant to reveal some of the information she withheld during the interview. Do I wish she would tell us the names of the family on Flintlock Drive? Yes. Do I wish she would give us the name of the family who owned the property where the truck was found? Yes. But I understand why she doesn't. 
I'm not saying I agree with it. All of you have heard me talk about this general topic before. But I understand why Monica, in her position, doesn't. Until then, we'll work with the information presented and do what we can. Having said that, I am happy that Monica was able to correct the record regarding where the truck was found. We now know it was found in Nashville, Tennessee, and not in Franklin, and I think that is a big deal. As for Nico and what happened to him on or after October 1st, 2011, and how we can go about getting answers before 2018 is over, since the parted out truck was found on Jay's family's property, and Jay was living where the truck was found, it certainly makes sense that Jay or someone close to him did something to Nico. Makes total sense. In fact, it's hard to imagine anything else that makes sense. But why keep the truck for five years? I mean, if nothing else, what we've learned on Unfound over the last two years is how easy it is to make vehicles disappear. The cases of Lola Catherine Fry, Eric Franks, and Jeff Joseph come to mind. Because keeping the truck is only going to get someone in trouble, if it's found. And generally, criminals don't keep damning evidence around. At the very least, those final large pieces could have been cut up with a torch and thrown out in 2011 or 2012. But that didn't happen. Not to mention, why is it that no one has been charged with possession of stolen property or withholding evidence in a criminal investigation now that the truck has been found? The way the law works, even if Jay were alive in 2016 when the truck was found, it would be his parents, the house and landowners, who would be responsible for having the truck. But to my knowledge, they've never been charged with anything. Yep, hard to understand. I think if I understood this part of Nico's case, I would be able to help Monica get the answers she deserves. With that, I leave the case in your hands. And now here is my interview with Stephen Huba, where we discuss his upcoming article on the disappearance of Mary Ann Verdeckia. I'm so happy to have back on Unfound the writer-reporter from the Tribune Review in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and TribLive.com, Stephen Huba. Steve, welcome back to Unfound. Hey, Ed. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I think this month's case for July 2018 um, is kind of a unique one so far for everything uh, you've done. You've uh, First of all, let's talk about you got to meet what is kind of, I guess, a, you know, a little bit of a Pittsburgh icon, at least in law enforcement. Why don't you talk about meeting Therese Rocco first? Yes, um, this story is as much about her as it is about the missing person that I'm writing about. Yeah. Because um, she, Therese Rocco, um, considers this case to be like one of the defining cases in her career. And um, she specialized in missing person cases for the Pittsburgh Police Department for decades and was responsible for reuniting a lot of people who had gone missing with their family members. But this was one of those cases where despite all her efforts and her efforts were considerable, yeah. um, she was not able to, um, to accomplish that. And um, she still considers herself to be working on this case, even though she's been retired for over two decades. And um, it's this, this is a case that's still very special to her. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, so um, I, I got a chance to meet her last week and um, talk about this case and also to um, read what she has written about this case in her new memoir. Right, right. And I, I've bought the book and I've read it and I, I got it as an ebook. Yes, and it's excellent. I mm-hmm. I got to speak to, as you know and the listeners should know I got to speak to Therese a little bit myself uh maybe maybe right. 3 months ago something like that and she's a little bit like a, a woman before her time I mean you know doing police work became very eventually be, got to be, to be in a place very high up in the Pittsburgh Police Department well before that became a thing in our you know at least in the United States you know, before, you know, women's liberation, et cetera. Yeah, she's she's kind of a legend. And um, she started with the police department when she was 19. And then um, around the time of this particular case, um, she had been promoted to captain and put in charge of the Missing Person Bureau. And then she ended up being promoted um, and, and working her way up to the position of assistant police chief. And um, so her, her memoir is all about being the first female assistant police chief with the Pittsburgh Department. Right. Yeah. And, and, um, right. Right. And the listeners, they should know that they can find Therese Rocco's book on Amazon as either a paperback or as an ebook, if you do a search for Therese Rocco on Amazon, you will find it. And uh, that was probably pretty neat. To, I mean, I know in your travels around Pittsburgh working with the Tribune Review, you've gotten to meet, you know, some Pittsburgh icons, I guess this is another one. She definitely is. And um, her chapter on Marianne Verdecchia um, is probably the longest chapter in, in the book. That's right. Uh, so she she goes she goes through the whole case in meticulous detail. Yeah. <laughs> so you you can tell that this is still very close to her and and very very much a part of her thoughts every day. Right. Right. Well, let's talk about that uh, about this. Marianne Verdecchia, just a little girl, disappeared on June seventh, nineteen sixty two, from Bloomfield, which is kind of a suburb of Pittsburgh. I mean, it's you know. Not out in the boonies, but it's part of Pittsburgh. Um, what did Therese tell you about that? Just, of course, very shortly. What did Therese tell you about working on it? And maybe just give a couple of the facts about the disappearance. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, uh, Marianne um, was 10 years old when this happened. She uh, attended a Catholic school in Pittsburgh. Um but uh, she was um, she was not living with her parents. Uh, neither her mother nor her father was in her life at that point. And um, her mother had left Pittsburgh about five years prior and um, resettled in Chicago. And her father was not in her life, so she was living with an aunt. So when Therese Rocco got the call that that particular evening of June 7th, she was in the process of moving and she kind of had to put everything down that she was doing. And she went out to the house where Marianne lived, which was the home of Ruth Riley, who was Marianne's aunt and Marianne's mother's sister. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, it was it was at that point. It was late in the evening. It was at that point that she she really got swept up in this case and pretty much dominated her life for the next several months. Um, so Marianne, um, she found out that Marianne had left school early that day because that was actually the last day of school. And so classes ended early and she went home, changed into her play clothes and then went out into the neighborhood, which is pretty much what she did every day. She would either meet up with friends or just kind of wander around the neighborhood. And uh, the impression I got was that she wasn't very well supervised. Right. I Uh, agree. I agree. But but that she did usually come home for supper Um, and that her aunt and her aunt's family did care for her, but they they just didn't watch over her that closely. Yeah, yeah. A different time, right, Steve? A different time. I guess. Yeah, 55 years ago, 56. Yeah. So Marianne went to a place called the Martinique Apartments, which was just a few blocks away. And a woman lived there who used to be neighbors with Marianne. And this woman owned a cat that Marianne really liked. So she went to check on her and wanted to see the cat or play with the cat. And the woman asked her to go out to uh, a nearby grocery store and buy some cat food. (laughs) So that's what she did. She apparently went out, brought the cat food back. When she came back, the woman was not at her apartment, or at least that's what she was told. Mm. So she left that apartment building, and that was pretty much the last time she was seen. Mm. And that was about 3 o'clock that afternoon. And by 6 o'clock, she had been reported missing. And by about 10 or 11 o'clock, that's when Therese Rocco got involved with the case. Right. And like you said, she's been working on it ever since. Of course, this is an unsolved case. Marianne's no yeah. remains were ever found or anything like that. And, uh, you know, right. Therese, even had, Therese even had to retire before this case was solved. Still on her mind all these years later. Yep. Okay. Um, and did, did just even, did Teresa did Therese ever maybe give you an you don't have to say I'm on the air or anything? Do you give you an idea of any suspects that she had in mind back then that didn't pan out or anything like that during her investigation? Well, the her mother, Marianne's mother, Marilyn Verdecchia, was initially the chief suspect. Um, they, they had reason to believe that she may have come back to Pittsburgh from Chicago and kidnapped Marianne. Right. Um, but that, that, and then one of Therese Rocco's early triumphs in this case was, was tracking down Marianne's mother, um, which she was able to do. And, um, but it turned out that neither her mother nor her father knew anything about Marianne's whereabouts and they both passed polygraph tests. So they were never really considered suspects after that point. And uh, and I unfortunately, it's been a while since I read that chapter. Did her mother, did Marion's mother even realize that her daughter went missing? Did she even realize no. it at the time? See, yeah. No, it, it really wasn't until she was contacted by FBI agents who located her in Chicago that she wow. realized that her daughter was missing. Wow. Now, wow. I also talked to uh, Marion's half-brother. 
Oh, that's interesting. Okay. A police sergeant in Chicago, and he had good things to say about his mother. And although he didn't know Marianne, he very much grew up with the knowledge of her and feels like his life has been very much shaped by Marianne's disappearance. Mm. So that, uh, that'll be part of the story as well. Great. Great. That's, I didn't know you did that. That's great. I remember reading about the half-brother, and I remember him being a policeman, but I didn't know that you found him and talked to him. That's, that's spectacular. Mm-hmm. Great, great. Well, that uh, will be coming out this uh, Sunday, two days from now. That'll be July 29th on TribLive.com, and it'll, of course, be in the print edition of the Tribune Review. It comes out in western Pennsylvania. Um, Steve, um, that's a lot of great work. Got to meet Teresa. I hope to be able to do that myself. She was fascinating uh, when I got to talk to her a few months ago on the phone for, I guess, about 45 minutes. And this is one of Pittsburgh's oldest missing persons cases that is unsolved, I think, at least to my recollection. Yes. I appreciate you putting me in touch with Therese Rocco, by the way. You're welcome. That's what I do. uh, I I love doing stuff like this. So um, she definitely needed to be talked to in this case. And she's a fascinating person, no doubt about it. Yeah. All right. Well, great work, Steve. Well, I look I look forward to reading the article this Sunday, and I hope all the listeners of Unfound will check it out as well. And, of course, check out Therese Rocco's book on Amazon. Steve, uh, until, ne- uh, until next month, we'll talk to you again. Okay, Ed. Thanks a lot. All right. Take it easy. And that's the program. If you found it informative, please go to the app that you use to listen to Unfound and give this podcast a great review. I thank you for listening. I'm Ed Denzel, and you've been listening to Unfound.